1: hey y'all it's Pepsi mama and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of the afternoon radio theater Sunday like an ice cream Sunday or if you just want it to be like a regular relaxing Sunday afternoon then that's fine too you get to pick your Sunday um but I named it. Uh, Sunday, like ice cream Sunday, just because for the fun of it. <laughs> um, but we, I hope you like what you hear, and um, if you do, you can subscribe to our, uh, YouTube channel. Whose blind life is it anyway? Uh, you can like us and follow us on Twitter and Facebook um at uh blind who's for twitter b L I N D W H O S E and on Facebook it's Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway just like it is on YouTube. Uh, twitter wouldn't let Victor do it that a long name like that, so he had to put blind who's um but if you don't like any of the live options, or you can't—you just can't listen to them live for whatever reason. You can check our podcast. Um, Whose blind life is it anyway? And it's on uh, all of the major podcast players. It um, there might be some that you might not find it on, but I don't know of any. So, uh, but you can get it on all the major ones, that's for sure. Um, you can tell Alexa to play Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? And she'll start playing and she won't stop until you tell her to stop. <laughs> but when you do it with Alexa, it does it backward. Uh, she'll play the latest one first and then go back. So, um, but that's how she works. <laughs> um, today... I'm doing for you some episodes from Hallmark Playhouse, and um, so uh, I thought you might like those because uh, most people like the Hallmark Channel things, and um, these are really good ones. Oh, I better give you my email address too. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm really on the ball today, that's for sure. But if you'd like to uh contact me with your gripes, grumbles, applauds, <laughs> uh comments, whatever, you can um, send me an email at Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday. That's like the ice cream Sunday. Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday S U N D A E at gmail.com. So um And I I may repeat it again at the end just in case uh, um, you need me to or something. Um, But now, on with the show. The first Hallmark Playhouse show that I'm going to play for you is uh, the story of Wyatt Earp. And I think everybody's familiar with Wyatt Earp. you know, I'm I'm not real sure that he's a real person. I think he is. Uh, I've read in history documents that he is, but I don't know for sure. I know that we never read about him in school. So, um, but uh, if I was really interested, I know I could do further research. But uh, kick back, enjoy the show, take your shoes off, and rest. Act like a hillbilly.
2: Tonight from Hollywood, the makers of Hallmark greeting cards bring you Richard Conte in Stuart Lake's story of Wyatt Earp, Frontier Marshal, on the Hallmark Playhouse. Each week, Hallmark will bring you Hollywood's greatest stars in outstanding stories chosen by one of the world's best-known authors, the distinguished novelist Mr. James Hilton.
3: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is James Hilton. Tonight on our Hallmark Playhouse, we dramatize a fine piece of work by an American newspaper man, Mr. Stuart Lake. A good many years ago, Mr. Lake became interested in the life of Wyatt Earp, a famous frontier pioneer whose name is imperishably associated with Tombstone, Arizona. Not only had some of Mr. Lake's ancestors pioneered in the West, and known of Earp's great achievements in the service of law and order. But at a later date, Mr. Lake chanced to come into personal contact with Wyatt Earp when the latter was an old man living in Los Angeles. The result of this was a book called Wyatt Earp, Frontier Marshal, a biography of the great Frontiersman, which is indeed an action story with a moral. And it is this which we are happy to present tonight. We are also privileged to have with us in the starting role, Richard Conte. In the year 1880, the western frontiers of the United States were being overrun by rustlers, gamblers, and murderers, and the value of a life became less than the bullet that killed. Into these territories came a man who had the courage to keep the peace. With his two guns blazing, cities like Wichita, Dodge City, and Ellsworth soon returned to law and order. And now, with frontier recognition as the greatest gunfighting marshal in the West, he came to one of the toughest spots on earth the land of the bad men, Tombstone, Arizona. This man was United States Marshal Wyatt Earp.
2: Now look here, Earp. We don't need you here in Tombstone. Matter of fact, we don't want you here.
4: We, Sheriff Bean. who's we? The people who run Tombstone. You mean the riff-raff? People like old man Clanton and his son Ike and the rest of his horse thieves and outlaws? You know, they're honest folks here who don't like the way the town is run. No one's complaining to me, and I don't see that it's any of your care. People who organize and call themselves the Citizen Safety Committee don't agree with you. They invited me here to Tombstone to do a little cleaning up. And I kind of figure I'll oblige them. Well, give me
5: a list of that committee. Uh, I want to meet with them. That's exactly what they're afraid of. They
4: don't trust you, Sheriff. That's why they called on me.
2: Irp, I'm Sheriff of this town, duly elected by the people. I'll run this town the way I see fit. And you or any committee won't tell me how.
4: You neglected the mention that the ballot boxes were stuffed by old man Clanton and his boys. And they counted the votes. I aim to see that honest people lose their fear of a gun. Have the freedom of expression and live their lives the way they want to live them. And you're not going to stop me, Sheriff. For a
2: guy who's friends with a cold-blooded killer like Doc Holliday, you sure are a
4: preaching man. Doc Holliday's no angel, but I never knew him to shoot a man in the back.
2: Erp, I heard a rumor in town that old man Clanton and his boys plan on getting you on sight. As sheriff of Coochee's County, it's my duty to protect you. I'm escorting you, Doc Holliday, and your brother Morgan safely out of town. If I were you, I'd start packing fast.
4: I don't want to keep old man Clanton waiting. It'll be downright rude. Where can I find him?
2: Help me, Sheriff. Help. It's old man Clanton and his boys. Guess you had it coming or they wouldn't be after you. you. You gotta stop him.
5: You gotta help me. I'm entitled to the protection of the law. Get
4: out, Johnny. You got no business in here. I think maybe he has. I don't care what he did. I arrested you once in Wichita, didn't I, Johnny? Yeah, yeah. You got a fair trial, Sheriff, and right now I say he's gonna get another one. Before a judge. I'm going out. Better not, her. Old man Clanton's out there. <laughs> Boys, boys, don't make any fool play here. That little tin horn isn't worth it.
5: That's her. That's why, get
4: him. Yes, you sure can, but I'll take eight or ten of you along. There's eighteen bucks shot in my gun, and the wads are slit. One step and I'll begin with old man Clanton. Step
5: aside, her. We have a little settling to do inside that door.
4: You also threaten to get me on sight. I'm waiting for you anytime, any place. But right now I'm gonna see the justice is done. You're not taking Johnny, and you're not gonna be the judge, Clanton. And don't move a step. I meant what I said. I don't like you, Worp. The world's too small for the both of us. Maybe you're right. We'll see about it. Right now you're gonna call off your voice. You, I don't take any cuff from you. That's our fight. We'll settle it in time. Now I'm going back in. I'm turning my back on you. And you're too yellow to shoot, Clanton. I've dealt with your kind before.
5: Earth. Yes, Clanton? Be out of town before the sun sets.
6: Well, Fargo, the coach has been held up. Somebody help the driver. He turned back.
5: Take it easy, lady. I'll take George. He's dead, Sheriff. And so are the two guards. <laughs> I saw it! I can identify the killer. I I chased him, but I couldn't catch him. Who was it? Well, there were two of them. The only one I recognized was Doc Holliday.
4: You're a Clanton, aren't you, Ike? Yes. Your father's old man, Clanton. That's right. Well, I don't believe you. Doc Holliday's out somewhere with my brother Morgan.
2: I believe Ike. He's an eyewitness. And he said Doc was with another man. That could be your brother.
4: Why not? Except these two guards were shot in the back that's not one of Doc's habits
2: his no law says I have to believe you I'm arresting Doc and charging him with murder that is if he ever gets to trial
4: And how do I know Earp, that you're not part of this hold-up deal if you think so Sheriff just try arresting me
5: that'll keep I'm going out to get Doc
4: Holiday I think it'd be better if I did it It'd be a lot safer for your hide yeah sheriff
5: uh, maybe you better do like he says. I'll take you where the coach was held up. You can trail him from there. Let's get going, Ike. I was coming east around this bend when I heard a shoot. Over there are the trail marks. Looks like Holiday headed that way.
4: I thought you said you chased him. How come you only think he headed that way?
5: Are you trying to call me a liar?
4: Not trying. Call him. And when I prove it, you're going to eat the sand right off this desert.
5: I don't like what you're saying. I don't like you. Maybe before I'm through with your sand will be too good for you. Reach yeah, out. Right. You see what I mean? Get off your horse. Take his gun, Ike. There's nothing I'd like better. <clears throat> you eating sand. Shoot sure, Get away from him, Ike! Herb, I told you to get out of town. You didn't listen. You
4: figured to ambush me, Clanton. When do you want me to turn my back? I'm in no hurry. It wasn't hard to tell who killed the Wells Fargo boys. They got it in the back. At least, Clanton, they didn't have to look at your ugly face. Shooting's too good for big mouth. Ike, you talk too much for a fightin' man. Shut up! Let's see. There's five of you here now. How are you going to split the Wells Fargo money? I'll do the dividing, Earp. You better double-check it, boys. Clanton's a hog. He'll pay off short.
5: Start walking, Earp. You're going to get it at the count of five. One.
2: Two, three. Oh. Drop the guns, boys. Doc Holliday. We don't have a thing to worry about, Wyatt. The Clantons are too ignorant to count to five. Your brother Morgan's on the other side, just in case anyone has any ideas about starting trouble. And how'd you know I was here, Doc. I heard about it in town. Ike, you said I shot men in the back. I don't hold still for that. Now, just give me a gun. Sure. Here's my gun. I'll use my fist. Quit that, Doc.
4: Ike, you and your father and the rest of the scum are going back to town. And Ike, you're going to do some talking. You're going to tell me in front of Sheriff B and how the Wells Fargo boys were murdered. And who did it. <laughs> You witnessed Ike Clanton's confession, Sheriff. I'd like you to affix your signature right below his. That'll make it legal. I'm not signing anything. Can't say that I blame you. It wouldn't sound good if Ike opened up on you. Ike's got nothing on me. Neither of you. I didn't say I had. Well, Ike will get his chance to repeat his story in court, and so will his old man. Come on, we'll go over to the jail and get him our respects.
2: I'm afraid you're going to be very disappointed. Well, what do you mean? The Clantons and the other boys broke jail, and they're waiting for you down in the O.K. Corral. They're laying to kill you. What are you going to do about it?
4: I'm going to throw them back into the calaboose, dead or alive.
5: I'm coming along with you, Wyatt. Sure, Morgan.
4: Where are you going, Wyatt? Down to the O.K. Corral to make a fight, Doc.
5: About time.
2: I'll go along. This
4: is our fight. There's no call for you to mix in.
2: It's a fine thing to say to me. I didn't figure you'd go without me. I know, Doc. But this will be a tough one. Tough ones are the
5: kind I like. All right, you asked for it. A uh, crowd's up ahead.
4: How do we go in? Fan out. We're too good a target together.
5: Yeah. know something, Wyatt?
4: Yes, Morgan.
5: All my life, I've wondered when you're about to die, do you see a vision of heaven?
4: This is no time to be thinking of heaven. I wouldn't be worrying about it, Morgan, until that time comes. Now, fan out.
2: It's all right, boys. Everything's all right, wife.
5: I've disarmed them. Thanks for the favor, Sheriff. Morgan, Doc, spread out more. Clanton, Ike, the rest of you, you men are under arrest. Throw up your hands. Come and get us. That's the way you want it. I'm coming in. I'm waiting.
2: So am I,
5: Earp? I'll take you, too, I... Look out, Wyatt. They're on. Careful, Morgan. We're getting it from all sides. Where are you, Doc?
2: Right here. Still in one piece.
5: Earp, I'm still waiting for you. No! Oh! You still haven't got me, Earp. Get out where I can get a beat on you. No! Oh! Wyatt, Ike's running away. He's getting out. Get him, Wyatt. You can't, Morgan. He threw his gun away. I can't shoot on arm man. The old man, Wyatt,
4: he's behind me. Well, I guess that's it. Why'd you let Ike get away? It only means he'll run for some more of their boys and start some more trouble. I'm sorry, but that's the way it had to be.
5: Why Wyatt, I'm arresting you. For what? For murder. You, being? Arrest
4: me? You tried your best to get us killed. If anyone ought to be arrested for murder, it's you. You won't take me in, Sheriff, but I'll be where any respectable person can arrest me anytime he wants to. But don't you or any of your cheap errand boys try it. <laughs>
3: On the day after the fight at the O.K. Corral, the bodies of old man Clanton and his boys were dressed in the finest of store clothes, placed in ornate caskets, and put on public view. Above the bodies was displayed a huge placard which read, Murdered in the Streets of Tombstone by Wyatt Earp. Meantime, Wyatt Earp surrendered to a federal judge on a charge of murder. And the day of his trial brought forth milling crowds of the outlaw faction, determined to take the law into their own hands, should the judge render a verdict in favor of Wyatt Earp.
5: I can and swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth to help you, God. I do. You're on. Wyatt murdered my father in cold block. My father was unarmed when he was attacked and couldn't defend himself, and so was I. I couldn't protect him. All right,
6: I'll shut Earth down like the dirty dog he is.
2: Sheriff try swear to tell the truth, not about the truth to help you, God? I do. I warned Wyatt Earp, Your Honor, that the boys in the O.K. Corral were unarmed. Earp told me to forget what I'd see. He'd make it up to me later. He explained he had a personal grudge against old man Clanton and planning getting him where there was no chance he'd get hurt himself. All I can say is that I witnessed the coldest blooded and most unwarranted killing I've ever seen in my life.
4: Wired
5: up. Swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, to help you,
4: God. I do. I won't refute the testimony of Sheriff Behan or Ike Clanton. I believe their lies speak for themselves. What's more important to me is that men of the stripe of Sheriff Bean and Ike Clanton can remain free to accuse any innocent man of a crime. Swear to it and hope and pray that they can make it stick. I sincerely wish that Sheriff Behan had been alongside his friends who shot it out with us in the OK Corral. If he had been, Tombstone would now be a decent place to live in. I cannot resist the conclusion that the defendant, Wyatt Earp, was fully justified in committing these homicides. It is the decision of this court that Wyatt Earp
5: is not guilty. And the charge against him is dismissed.
4: why Wyatt, I've been looking all over town for you. Well, what's the excitement,
2: Doc? Mike Clanton's brought in Indian Charlie, John Ringo, and Hank Swilling.
4: You couldn't have picked a finer crew of bushwhackers. Yeah, but they're here in town looking for you. Won't take them along to find me. Where's Morgan? Across the street shooting pool. Oh, come on, we'll get him, and then we'll get ready for Ike and his friends. Gotta keep him in the shadows. No sense making targets of ourselves. Doc, I know you're my friend. And I'm beginning to think you have brains. Let's make a run for it. Morgan about time you oh. to bed isn't it you trying to baby me Of course not but you're still pretty weak from that wound and you look tired oh it's too early to go home nothing much doing here come on Doc and you and I go home and do a little talking There's no reason why
5: we can't talk here what's the matter Wyatt don't you think I know about the gang
4: I Clanton brought to town you know I'm a grown-up man now come on Morgan it's time for bed Wyatt we herps weren't ready to run away from nobody. No, where well, we'd ready to die unnecessarily. Make this your last shot, boy. I'm gonna show you the fanciest
5: shot you've ever seen. I'm gonna play a three ball combination which will ease the five ball gently into the side pocket. I'm hit. Did, did they get you white? Are you all right?
4: I'm fine, boy. Take it easy now.
5: That better? Put... Put my legs straight. They are straight, Morgan. Must... be My
3: back's broken. Looks like I've run out my string,
0: Wyatt. It won't... Won't go long now, will it?
4: Don't talk that way, Morgan. You'll be on your feet in no time.
5: Sure. We... We
3: we know who did it.
6: Don't we?
4: And we'll get them, you and I. You'll give the orders. Morgan, I'll follow you anywhere.
6: Ben...
5: Ben, down
7: close to
4: me. Sure, boy. Sure.
7: Ever since I I was a kid, I always asked you, when you're about to die,
0: do you see a vision of heaven? Wyatt, I... I... I don't
5: see a thing. Morgan. Morgan. So long, Wyatt.
6: Take
8: care of yourself.
4: There's nothing more you can do for him, Wyatt. All my life, Doc, I've respected the law. He'd be alive right now if I hadn't. That bullet was meant for me, not for him. It's a pretty high price to ask a man to pay for trying to shoot square. I know who killed Morgan, and I'm going after him. I hope they'll be fools enough to resist arrest. Ringo.
2: One for Morgan.
5: You're under arrest, Twilly. Watch it, Wyatt. He's going for his gun.
4: Two for Morgan.
5: Hello, like Uh, what do you want?
4: Oh. You. Huh? I figured I'd find you here in the sheriff's office. I'm arresting you, Ike, for ambushing and killing my brother. No,
5: I had nothing to do with it.
4: I I, I can prove it. Who are you gonna get to swear for you, Sheriff Bean?
5: No. All right, I'm your prisoner, right? I'm leaving with you any time you're ready. What makes you so agreeable, Ike? Well, my lawyers are waiting outside. You didn't figure out smart me, did you?
4: I could shoot you right in your tracks, couldn't I? You wouldn't do that, would you? Your law binds. There's, there's no law that says you can't shoot a skunk. You killed my brother. Remember? And I wouldn't worry too much about that lawyer of yours. Doc Holliday took him for a little walk before I came in. Come on, get going.
5: I'm not going anywhere with you. If I had a gun with me, you'd never leave this room. That can be
4: fixed when I say one you can make your fight I won't go for my gun until I've counted three here's your gun Ike one, two, three free for Morgan what's going on in here All right. don't try arresting me for murder again sheriff I warn you don't no worry I won't I don't feel sorry by Clanton. I, I don't expect you would you're a greedy man. First you wanted power. The Clantons gave you that when they made you Sheriff. Then you wanted Richards. The Clantons gave you that when they cut you in on the Wells Fargo holdup. But that wasn't good enough for you. Part of the money wasn't enough. Now that Ike's dead, it's all yours. You're a rich man. Eighty thousand dollars worth. But you'll never enjoy it. We're talking mighty big. That eighty thousand dollars, Sheriff, is in your safe. That's
2: a lie. Care to open it? What's in my safe is my own business.
4: I'll describe what's inside. There are two bundles. One marked with your name, the other with Ike Clanton's. Each has $40,000 in it. Doc Holliday opened your safe for me. Legally, of course. I had a court order.
2: And $200 a month pay isn't a lot of
5: money, is it, Irv? Not exactly. You can take the bundle marked Ike Clanton. $40,000 isn't a lot of money. You think I
4: can buy back the life of my brother Morgan and all the people in this town that have died because of you? No, Bean. you're going to pay. But first you're gonna get what you don't deserve. A fair trial. I'm glad for you, Doc. I'm glad that you're staying on here in Tombstone.
2: Well, I'm getting tired of kicking around, Wyatt. Man needs roots. Place he can call home. How about
5: you? Me?
4: Nothing I'd like better, but not just yet. I'm going west. California.
5: Well, folks around here are mighty grateful for all you've done. Whole
4: town's yours, we ask. Sounds mighty inviting, but I can't stay. Well, a man's
2: got a right to make up his own mind.
4: Someday I'll be back, Doc. Someday when it won't be necessary to keep the peace with a gun. When folks will get together and talk their troubles out instead of shooting them out. The West is still young. I guess it's having growing pains. Give it time. Give it time and it'll get there.
2: Men like you around, it has a mighty good chance. So long, Doc. I'll be seeing you.
4: So long, Wyatt. Wyatt. Yes, Doc.
2: Wyatt. Take care of yourself.
3: story and a great performance. Thank you, Mr. Conti. You know the story of a man like Wyatt Earp is a living inspiration to all of us who live in America today and cherish the highest
4: of its traditions. I agree with you, Mr. Hilton. And I'd like to add how much I feel it an honor to have been here on the Hallmark Playhouse. Traditions are wonderful things. They can serve as both inspiration and guidance in so many of the daily things we do. But of course you here at Hallmark know that, since you express it so excellently in your Hallmark cards. You, too, have your traditions, and fine ones they are.
3: Thank you, Mr. Conte, for your tribute. We appreciate it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, may I invite you to join us next week when we present a dramatization of Irving Stone's fine story, Immortal Wife, starring that famous Hollywood actress, Loretta Young, whose present reign as an Academy Award winner will give way in a few hours to some other distinguished actress, who we don't know, but Miss Young is probably just as excited about it as we are. And in following weeks, we will present Betty Smith's well-known story, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, starring that wonderful little girl, Margaret O'Brien, and Zoe Yakin's Morning Glory, starring one of Hollywood's youngest and brightest stars, Elizabeth Taylor. Our Hallmark Playhouse is every Thursday. Our director-producer is Dee Engelbach. Our music is composed and conducted by Lynn Murray, and our story tonight was adapted by Jack Rubin. Until next Thursday, then, this is James Hilton saying good night.
1: The next Hallmark playhouse that I'm doing for you is called One Foot in Heaven.
3: And you
5: care enough to send the very best. Tonight, from Hollywood, the makers of Hallmark greeting cards bring you George Brent in Hartzell Spencer's One Foot in Heaven on the Hallmark Playhouse. Each week, Hallmark will bring you Hollywood's greatest stars in outstanding stories chosen by one of the world's best-known authors, the distinguished novelist Mr.
9: James Hilton.
0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is James Hilton. Tonight on our Hallmark Playhouse, we present a dramatization of One Foot in Heaven by Hartzell Spence. This is a warm and human story about a good man. You know, stories about good people are very often good stories, because goodness is really an exciting thing, as we on the Playhouse have often found in our dramatizations of such men as the doctor and the schoolmaster. Tonight, we give you the story of a clergyman, a Methodist preacher who lived and worked in Iowa. Actually, in this book, Mr. Spence is telling the true story of his own father, so it isn't surprising that there's a warm affection in the way he depicts this truly Christian gentleman who, as Mr. Spence says, had one foot in heaven and one foot on God's green earth. We have been fortunate in securing for the starring role that fine actor, Mr. George Brent. And now, Frank Goss, have you a word about Hallmark?
5: There are Hallmark cards for every memorable occasion on your calendar. For birthdays, anniversaries, holidays. Yes, for every occasion that calls for remembrance, for a friendly greeting, a word of good cheer, an expression of sympathy. There is a Hallmark card that says just what you want to say, the way you want to say it. And that identifying Hallmark on the back, that says you cared enough to send the very best. Now, Hallmark Playhouse, presenting Hartzell Spencer's One Foot in Heaven and starring George Brent.
0: Riverton is a Midwestern town, and big city dwellers might call it a small town, but it is listed on any fair-sized map. As our story opens, the morning train from Chicago has just pulled away from the station, leaving a young man and woman alone on the platform. The man looks exactly what he is a Protestant minister of the Methodist denomination.
5: Well, Hope, what do you think of our new hometown?
7: Will, do you think it'll be as bad as Bishop Simmons said?
5: The bishop, my dear, is a master at understatement. I am sure it will be considerably worse than he said.
7: Oh, dear. Harry!
5: Good morning, brother. Is this vehicle for hire?
9: Only one town that is. Are uh, you the new preacher?
5: Yes, I'm the Reverend Spence, and this is Mrs. Spence.
9: How do you do? Mm, how do? Well, if I'm bored, I'll take you over to the parsonage, then I'll take you to the hotel. Well, we weren't
5: planning on going to the hotel.
9: Mm, that's the plan you'll make after you see the parsonage. Step
7: up, and I'll throw your bags in back here. Thank you. Yeah, get along, Tilly. I... Um... I understand there's been quite a turnover in Parsons here. Yeah, the Lord sends them and the congregation drives them away.
9: But why don't they like the pastors? Mm, Can't say. I'm a Presbyterian myself. Never could figure out what the Methodists like.
5: Well, but surely there must be some reason for their attitude.
9: Mm, Ever since Preacher Jones passed on, the congregation's been split. Brother Cooper's been running things to suit himself since then.
5: Brother Cooper, eh? I'll remember that.
9: Oh, he better not cross Brother Cooper. He'll be the one that pays most of your salary.
5: You're being very helpful, Brother.
9: And folks just call me Samson.
5: Brother Samson.
9: Any other members of the congregation who uh,
5: the Lord might uh, keep a special eye on?
9: Well, there's Mrs. McClintock. She runs the bakery over there. She and Mrs. Cooper are always fighting about who's going to be head of aid.
5: Mrs. McLendrick and Mrs. Cooper and the ladies' aide. Make a note of that, my dear. That'll be your department.
7: <laughs> I've been through that kind of battle before. Mm, over yonder is
9: Herb Jellison's. He sells them newfangled OT No good'll come of it.
5: Is Brother Jellison one of the ones who engages a great deal in the work of the Lord?
9: Mm, that's a question you'll have to ask yourself, Preacher. He sings in the choir. Membership's been falling off ever since started. I guess most of your flock are good people at heart. Even if they are Methodists
5: Well, thank you, Brother Samson You seem to be well informed uh, Even if you are a Presbyterian
7: Oh, no No Bishop Simmons couldn't do this to us well
5: It is a little depressing, isn't it?
7: Well, you
9: have to see for yourself. You ready to go to the hotel?
5: Well, Hope?
7: No. No, Brother Samson. The church seems to be just as old. And if God can live there, I guess we can live here.
5: Thank you, my dear. It won't be for long. Remember why the bishop sent me here. We'll get them to build a new church and a new parsonage.
9: Mm, You may. You're young. Peter Jones tried it for 11 years before he got so tired he died. Good luck.
5: Thank you, Brother Samson. I'm sorry, Hope. I'll try to make you happy here.
7: I'll be happy, dear. (laughs) As soon as I've recovered my balance. Will, you never seem to lose yours. My balance? Yes, dear, your balance. I guess a pastor needs balance more than anything else. Standing with one foot in heaven and the other on God's green earth and unable to plant both feet firmly in either place. sorry to disturb you, Will, but here are Brother Cooper and Brother Jellison, and they would like to speak to you.
9: Good evening, Reverend. Good evening, Pastor.
5: Please be seated, brothers. What can I do for you? I think you've been a little hasty in some of your decisions, Pastor. Like to straighten you out on a few things. Well, I'm in the market for constructive suggestions. Understand you've been organizing a singing group from the children in Sunday school. That's right, and they're coming along very nicely. They'll be ready in a few weeks, Brother Cooper. Ready for what? ...to take their places in the choir loft.
9: We already have a choir, Pastor. I've been the choir master for five years. I know
5: you have, Brother Dillison. And like all good servants of the Lord, you are due for a reward. I've arranged for the regular choir to take a nice, long rest. The children will take care of the singing. I don't think that would be wise, Reverend. You're new here. Only five months now, isn't it? People in this congregation don't go in much for changes. Well, I've already sounded out the congregation, Brother Cooper... They're all in favor of retiring the present choir.
9: Uh, I'd like to have some of them tell me that.
5: They have told you, Brother Jellison, by their absence from church. Understand you have some ideas about building a new church, Pastor. Yes, I find that God is rather poorly housed here. As treasurer of the church, I don't think the idea is sound. However, I might support it, although it's a big change, providing that there aren't any other changes. Herb's a friend of mine, and I think he's doing a good job. As treasurer of the church, I'm making you a deal. Take it. Or leave it. Brother Cooper, we're talking about a new church, a new place of worship, a house of God. It will be a gift to God. I do not have the power to make a deal in his behalf.
9: Come on, Cooper. We don't have to take this, even if he is a pastor.
5: You better think it over, Reverend. As treasurer, I'd like to see the choir left as it is. You may not be treasurer for much longer, Brother Cooper. The trustees hold an election next month. I've ordered a closed ballot. I don't think you'll be re-elected. I'm the biggest contributor to this church. God is the biggest contributor in this church. Good day, brothers.
7: The good brothers seem quite angry. Yes. What do you think they'll do?
5: I don't know. I'd rather not think about it anymore at the moment. It's been a trying day, and I'm glad it's over.
7: Will, it isn't over, not quite. One more river.
5: Oh, Heavenly Father, not the ladies' aid again. (laughs)
7: They're meeting in the parlor right now. Mrs. McClintock and Mrs. Cooper are still at it. They both want to be president.
5: Is Mrs. Brooks in there with them?
7: <laughs> yes. Sitting there like the sweet old angel she is. Why, dear? Mm,
5: maybe with the help of divine providence we can get this thing settled once and for all. Lead me to the foe and I will slay him or <laughs> her, whatever the case may be. <laughs>
7: Mrs. Cooper, I think you've been president wrong enough. The nominating committee has decided that I am the sole candidate, Mrs. McClillick. Two terms was enough for even George Washington. Good evening,
5: oh, sisters.
7: Oh, good evening. Uh, you, uh,
5: you ladies seem to be having some difficulty.
7: We want a new president. She means she wants to be president. I was nominated. Oh, yes, you picked your own nominating committee. Oh, now now,
5: now, now, sisters. Well, well, I I know you've been fighting, and I came over because I enjoy your display of spirit. The Bible is full of battles. But the wars that they were successful were the ones the children of God fought together against a common foe. Now you ladies are doing a great work for this church. I would hate to see that work interrupted. I suggest that we change procedure a trifle and accept open nominations from the floor, so that both of you ladies can prove you haven't your personal interests at heart. Any objections?
7: Well, I don't. Sure, I, I would like to put in nomination the name of Mrs. Hazel Brooks.
5: Will you second that, Mrs. Cooper?
7: Uh, Second. And now I move that nominations be closed.
5: And I'm sure Mrs. McClintock will second that. Uh, Second? Well, now, since... Since Mrs. Brooks is the only candidate, I I guess she is elected by acclamation. I uh, won't keep you ladies any longer. Will...
7: You've been disturbed lately. Something's wrong. What is it?
5: Oh, the district conference is being held in Detroit at the end of the month, and Bishop Simmons has invited me to deliver the sermon.
7: He picked you out of the 300 pastors who'll attend. Why, Will, that's a great honor.
5: It's more than that. I think it's been engineered. What do you mean? Cooper and Jellison and the others. They're going to the conference as lay delegates. They'll bring charges against me and... Attempt to have me moved.
7: But they have nothing to charge you. Oh, they'll
5: attack my sermon. Any sermon is open to attack. They can take some isolated line, twist the meaning, give it a different interpretation, and try to influence the bishop. But
7: the bishop is very fond of you.
5: Yes, but I haven't succeeded in getting the new church started, and I I like it here, Hope. And I hope the bishop is in agreement with my sermon. I, I wouldn't want to be moved without completing the job.
7: I wouldn't want to move either just now.
5: You like them too, don't you? The parishioners.
7: Very much, but it's more than that. You see, Will, we're going to have a baby.
5: In a moment, James Hilton will return to present Act Two of Hartzell Spencer's One Foot in Heaven, starring George Brent. There's a new way to bring joy to children this Easter. This year, you can give Hallmark Little Women dolls. You know how much children love the book Little Women by Louisa May Alcott? You know how youngsters love the movie stars? And you know what dolls mean to children? Well, the new Hallmark dolls combine all these loves of childhood. The famous movie stars in the new movie Little Women posed for Hallmark dolls and each autographed the doll whose part she played. Imagine the thrill of some child you know when she receives a Hallmark doll of Margaret O'Brien as Beth or Elizabeth Taylor as Amy or Janet Leigh as Meg or June Allison as Joe. Each doll stands up by itself, eight inches high, and has a delightful verse that tells all about her. And they all wear gorgeous costumes of rich colors with real feather plumes in their hats. Think what happy hours some little friend of yours can have acting out little women with Hallmark dolls. You can mail them as easily as greeting cards, and they cost only 25 cents each. Or for a really enchanting present for Easter, or for birthdays or any other occasion, give the entire set of four dolls in a colorful, permanent portfolio. It costs only one dollar. It will bring you joy this Easter to see the rapture on a child's face when the portfolio is opened and out come Meg, Amy, Joe, and Beth, the lovable, hallmark Little Women dolls now back to our play starring George Brent who
2: appears through the
5: courtesy of RKO pictures RKO's current picture is the setup starring Robert Ryan and Audrey Totter now here is James Hilton in the second act of one foot in heaven starring George Brent <laughs>
0: As we open the second act of the Hallmark Playhouse, the Reverend William Spence has just stepped from the pulpit after delivering a sermon before the district conference of the Methodist Church held in Detroit under the supervision of Bishop Simmons. As the pastor takes his seat, Brother Cooper, a lay delegate, opens the attack. If it
6: please, Bishop Simmons, I ask
5: for a business meeting be convened at once. ...to deliberate a matter that cannot wait. I am Brother Cooper, a lay delegate from the Riverton Parish. I will hear the matter. You may continue. Thank you, Bishop Simmons. For some time, we in Riverton have felt that our pastor, the Reverend Spence, is not competent. Uh, I would hesitate to make such a charge under normal circumstances... ...but I do so now because of the sermon you have just heard with your own ears. Are you ready to defend your sermon, Brother Spence? My sermon needs no defense, Bishop.
9: Uh, Bishop Simmons... I want to add my protest to that of Brother Cooper. I am Brother Jellison, also of the Riverton Parish. You've just heard our pastor say that his sermon needs no defense. That is his attitude. He thinks himself infallible.
5: I did not say that I'm infallible, Brother Jellison. We were not discussing me, we were discussing the sermon. All right. Sit down, Jellison. I can handle this. We'll stick to the sermon. Please do. It's such a beautiful sermon.
9: A beautiful sermon? Bishop Simmons, the ego of this man is incredible. Uh, Your conduct is rather unbecoming, Brother Spence.
5: But, Bishop, the sermon is a heavenly work of art.
9: It is, is it? It's full of holes like a sieve. I can rip it apart every word of it. How could a man
5: of God write such a sermon? I can't answer that, Brother Cooper. You'd better address that question to British Simmons. Uh, what? You can't answer my question, can you? No, I can't. You see, a great occasion like this calls for a great sermon. I would not have been content with my own humble efforts. So I have borrowed my sermon from this book, word for word. That's why I think the sermon was so wonderful. It was written many years ago by a missionary. A missionary who rose to be a bishop. Our own bishop. Bishop... Simmons.
9: Yes, sir, Robert, you sure slicked Brother Cooper. Everybody in town's talking about it, too. The bishop's own sermon.
5: <laughs> well, I didn't think Brother Cooper would let the story get around.
9: Oh! Well, Others up to the conference Aside from him and that That automobile maniac Jellison uh, Some of your flock knew you was in trouble And they was there in the audience are rooting for you
5: Those good people Thank you, Samson
9: uh, Shucks, don't thank me I- I'm a Presbyterian
5: <laughs> You're a good man That's what counts I'm going to need my good people For what I want to do
9: Still got that new church in your craw?
5: Yes, I'm going to hold a revival meeting.
9: Hmm. Takes a lot of folks to contribute to building a church.
5: I know, but when we get started, maybe Cooper and Jellison will see the light. I'm going to need them. They're the wealthiest people in my congregation.
9: Mm, don't know how to break this to you, Pastor, but they uh, ain't in your congregation no more. They're too mad. They came over to my church. They're uh, Presbyterians now, like me.
5: Oh, I see. Well, Samson, so long as they haven't left God's family.
9: Mm, Here's the parsonage. Whoa, Kelly.
5: Here's the usual 25 cents, Samson. Mm,
9: Thanks, Preacher. And, uh, here's a dollar change.
5: But I... I only gave you a quarter.
9: Oh, put that dollar toward the new Methodist church, Pastor. Only remember that it was a Presbyterian who started it. (laughs)
5: gentlemen know I've been planning a revival in my church. My field workers have visited every home within an area of ten miles, and they have compiled these lists. They include the names of all people who do not attend church regularly. Uh, not all of them are Methodists. So I want each of you to have the list of people of your own denomination. Father Flannery, this list is yours.
8: Thank you, Pastor. Thank you.
5: Rabbi Fine, these are your people. Thank you. I should have done this myself. You would have if you'd had the problems my church has had. Don't feel embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that I was forced to make the move. Uh, you have a list left over. I take it that, that is mine. That you are, Reverend Moore, and thank you for your time.
9: Uh, Reverend Spence, one of my pro school children tells me you bought a chance on my St. Bernard dog. The one that's uh, being raffled off.
5: You raffle them off every month, and I buy a ticket every month. I'd uh, love to win him, Father Flannery.
9: No, you know the cost, Pastor. Whenever one of my parishioners win him, they feed him, bathe him, and give them back to me. <laughs>
2: uh, uh, Pastor,
5: there's something I want to give back to you. What is that, Reverend Moore? A couple of misplaced Methodists who are trying to convince themselves that they're Presbyterians. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brother Cooper and Brother Jellison, they belong on your list. Thank you, Reverend.
9: Church, sure it looks like to stretch my dollar a long way. Gonna be a humdinger of the church. Never thought you'd be able to do it without the help of Cooper and Johnson.
5: Well, I got the help I needed from a somewhat higher level, Samson.
9: Yeah, but uh, you're a practical man, too. Would have been mighty handy if they'd have kicked in with contributions. I
5: can't deny that. The church will be completed, but I'm afraid the organ and the bells will have to wait.
9: When are they going to get this work finished?
5: Had a wonderful time, Samson. Our first services will be held here on Easter Sunday. Bishop Simmons is coming down for the dedication.
0: You've done a wonderful job, Brother Spence. I had the feeling that you were the man to do it. But now I, I have a difficult task.
5: Difficult task?
0: Yes. You see, you're a builder. A builder of churches and a builder of faith. You are the spiritual conductor between God and man. And so I have to take you away from here. Because your work here is done. And others can now take it over. I need you in another place. There is a parish much like this one was in Nebraska. Will you go?
5: Yes. Only my wife. Well, we're expecting the baby shortly. Hardly know how to tell her.
0: I didn't want to leave you that task. I told Sister Spence myself.
5: What did she say?
0: She is of the opinion that babies have been born in Nebraska before. <laughs> Sister Spence is a fine woman. The best, Bishop. The very best.
10: Oh, Will, Bishop, come quickly. What's wrong, my dear? A truck from Chicago. It has bells and a new organ. But
5: where do they come from? The
10: truckman didn't know, but they're paid for.
5: The Lord be praised for that. <laughs> Mrs. Cooper. give up the good work
11: for the ladies' aid. Oh, I will. I will. And thank you. Thank you.
5: And God bless you. God bless all of you.
7: I, I'm glad they're all gone, Will. I think, I, I think I'm going to cry.
0: Uh, all
9: of them aren't gone. Here come a couple of brothers who stayed to do a little overtime praying.
5: Hello, Pastor.
9: I'd like your sermon, Reverend Spence.
5: Brother Cooper and Brother Jealous, Knight. I'm so glad to see you. Pastor, I've been sort of a... a, Well, it's a word I shouldn't use in church.
8: Me too. Same word.
5: (laughs) The organ and the bells and... You gave them, didn't you? The organ from me, the bells from Herb. Pastor, why do you have to leave us? The being that counts in this church never leaves a
9: brother. He'll welcome you any time.
0: I think Brother Jellison has something on his mind.
9: Uh, uh, Pastor, uh, Brother Cooper and I, uh, well, uh, we want you to have this.
0: A key? What is it for?
9: Uh, It's out here. Uh, There. Uh, Ain't it a beauty?
7: I will. It's an automobile.
9: Yes. From me and... Brother Cooper. Aye... Brothers.
10: Good brothers. Will! Will, is
7: something wrong with the motor?
5: No. Before we drop over the hill, I... I just wanted to take one look back.
7: Yes, Will.
5: Riverton. Beautiful, isn't it? There's the steeple in the church. Birds have already started nesting there. And there's old Samson's rig down by the station, waiting for the morning train. Mrs. McEntuck's bakery. Jellison's garage. And the flowers in Mrs. Brooks' garden. Hmm. There's somebody bringing Father Flannery's dog back to him. I wish every man in the world could see this town from here as I see it now. People are forever asking a preacher what heaven is like. I guess maybe it's just like a town. Because a town is like the people in it. That's why I can leave them now. Because we'll see these good people again. Yes. We'll see them again. James Hilton and George Brent will return, but now here's what I promised to tell you about Hallmark Little Women Dolls, the newest addition to the famous Hallmark Doll Collection. Little Women Dolls are in full color costume with real feather plumes in their hats. They're eight inches high and stand up all by themselves. Each doll has a clever verse that tells all about her and is autographed by the star who played her part in the popular movie, Little Women. Hallmark Little Women Dolls are only 25 cents each, or it's a dollar for the entire set of four in a colorful permanent portfolio. Buy Hallmark Little Women dolls at the Friendly store where you find Hallmark greeting cards. Some little friend will love you for them. Here again is James Hilton.
0: Thank you, George Brent, for a performance both spirited and inspiring. It has certainly come with timeliness this week, and I'd like you to know how happy we've been to have you here with
5: us. It's been a pleasure for me too, Mr. Hilton. I can see there's a very friendly feeling about your Hallmark playhouse. and that doesn't really surprise me because I know how your Hallmark cards seek to spread that feeling wherever they go. And thank you again for having me.
0: I hope we shall have you again. And by the way, you might listen to us next Thursday when we present Christopher Morley's Kitty Foyle starring June Allison. And the following week, Betty Smith's famous novel A Tree Grows in Brooklyn starring Dan Daly. And after that, James Thurber's great baseball story called You Could Look It Up starring William Frawley. Our Hallmark Playhouse is every Thursday. Our director-producer is Dee Engelbach. Our music is composed and conducted by Lynn Murray. And our script tonight was written by Joelle Murcott. So until next Thursday, then, this is James Hilton saying good night.
5: May I add a word, Mr. Hilton, and a message to all of our listeners? There is no better Easter gift than the new Hallmark Little Women dolls. See them while you are choosing your Hallmark Easter cards. Now on display at the friendly store where you buy your Hallmark cards. Look for Hallmark cards that are sold only in stores that have been carefully selected to give you expert and friendly service. Remember Hallmark cards when you carry enough to send the very best. <laughs> this is Frank Goss saying goodnight to you all and inviting you next Thursday and every Thursday to tune in one half hour earlier and listen to the adventures of Casey, crime photographer, followed by the Hallmark Playhouse. This program came to you from the Hallmark Playhouse. This is PBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: I hope you enjoyed that one. I liked it. Next, we have Random Harvest.
2: Hallmark cards when you care enough to spend the very best. Tonight from Hollywood, the makers of Hallmark greeting cards bring you Joan Fontaine in James Hilton's Random Harvest on the Hallmark Playhouse. Each week, Hallmark will bring you Hollywood's greatest stars in outstanding stories. Chosen by one of the world's best-known authors, the distinguished novelist, Mr. James
8: Hilton.
3: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is James Hilton. Tonight on our Hallmark Playhouse, we present a dramatization of my own novel, Random Harvest. Starring that brilliant young actress Joan Fontaine. You know, for years I've been queried by both friends and strangers. How do you get an idea for a story? Well, there are many ways. But in the case of Random Harvest, I'd like to put myself in the position of one of the characters. And go back to a moment when I met a man on a train whom I shall call Charles Rainier. But that's our story. (laughs) attracted me to Charles Rainier was an air of mystery about his eyes which intrigued He seemed always to look beyond you, as if in the dark recesses of his memory he was groping for something he couldn't find. Shortly afterwards, I met his wife. Her face had a beauty that poured into it from within, a secret and serene radiance. On casual observance, the marriage of Mr. and Mrs. Rainier seemed ideal, but as I came to know them better, I sensed the dramatic undercurrent between them, as if these two people were hiding something from each other. During the ensuing two years, Charles and I became very close friends, and I discovered why he always looked beyond you. It was very exciting, but I was unable to stop writing about it. The story had a beginning, a middle, but lacked an ending. Until one afternoon, when I dropped in for a visit at the Rainier Estate, And Mrs. Rainier called me into her library.
12: I'm so happy you dropped in, Mr. Hilton. As a matter of fact, I was going to telephone you. Well, this is an opportune visit. Where's Charles? Off somewhere, and as usual, I never know just when you'll return.
3: Well, it's pleasure enough just to see you. Uh, What were you going to phone me about?
12: Forgive me for crying, but why did you and Charles drive out to Melbourne the other night?
3: What you're asking will hurt you deeply.
12: Tell me, please.
3: Charles is a man in search of a memory. For a long time now, he has desperately sought to remember the events of the year 1919, when he was an amnesia victim. And he found them? Not quite all. But he now knows that during that last year, he fell madly
0: in love with a girl and married her. And it all began where, while he was at a hospital in Melbury. Do
12: you
0: remember her clearly, what she looked
12: like, her name?
3: I'm not sure. But I do know that he'd give up everything if he could
12: find her. He'd give up everything? Well, Mr. Hilton, thank you for telling me all this. I'm so sorry. You know, when I try to
0: imagine your feelings... I
12: don't feel anything yet. least not much. Would you excuse me? I believe I'll go for a drive. Do you mind if I come along? If you like. Would you be good enough to ask Sheldon to bring the car? Of course. Uh,
3: One thing, Mrs. Rainier... People are remembered as they were last seen. And 20 years is a
0: long time. It would be a miracle. I wish there were such a miracle.
12: 20 years. 20 years ago. Was it Melvory? Armistice, oh, say. I remember.
6: Come oh. on, you're so funny. We've never Go! And Dr. Coppers and your old and smile. Come on, you smile,
5: smile. Don't bother with him, Missy. He's from the Army Hospital.
12: One of them loony ones, I think. Oh, come on, soldier. Let's be gay. We've won a war. Please. Uh, uh, oh, uh, come on, old boy. It's all right. If you don't like it here, we'll, we'll go for a walk. We're quiet. Walk we'll or not, whichever you like. Come on, let's go. I'm not really loony, like the man said. Did you hear that?
3: I said it clearly, didn't I? Of course, I
5: But you don't know what a job I have as a rule. I'll. I had to learn to
3: talk all over again. I still have a fear of being around too many people.
12: You'll do all right. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Well, this street doesn't lead anywhere. That <laughs> doesn't matter. Now that's just my luck. You did escape from the hospital, didn't you? No, not exactly. I
3: just came out because... Of... Well, because there were no guards at the gate.
12: It's like a prison, isn't it? I loathe it. Well, then you oughtn't to be in it, surely. There's well,
5: nowhere else until I, I get all right again.
12: Well, how can you get all right when you're not happy there?
5: Well, perhaps I shouldn't be very happy anywhere. No.
12: Well, why not go back to your family?
5: I was shell-shocked. I lost my memory of first. Oh. oh, don't worry. I thought to say I, I'll regain it, but
3: no telling when. What's your name?
12: Paula. Paula Ridgeway. It's not my real name, though. I'm, I'm an actress with a traveling troupe. But George.
3: Smith, but that's not real
12: either. Well, Smith, good enough. Hello, Smithy.
4: Hello, Paula.
12: Listen,
6: Smithy.
12: Smithy, I've got a crazy idea. I suppose you, you think it's silly, but then everybody's gone silly today. Smithy. You're not going back to that horrible hospital. Oh, I,
4: I have to go well, back. come
12: along with the troop. Let us be your family until you can
0: remember your own. The hospital will find me wherever I go. Oh, no, they won't. I won't let but them. But you don't know them. who I am. For all you know, I might be really loony or, or, or dangerous. Oh,
12: well, then again, you might just be an earl or a lord or something. I've always wanted to be one. <laughs> oh, you're,
5: you're quite a girl. Oh, it would be wonderful.
12: right. You're coming with us. But I... But, Smithy, you won't have a care. Smithy, we'll...
5: No, nothing. If I could sit down for a moment, I'm sure I'll be
7: all right. Sure you will, old boy. I'll help
12: you. Mephi was very ill. I took him to my lodgings, and for weeks we both fought to make him well. But as the days wore on and Smithy's strength slowly returned, I began to really know and understand him. He was fine and decent, and I fell in love with him. And though he never told me, I knew he was in love with me too. Then when Smithy was much better, it was time for the troop to leave Melbury. Smithy, Smithy, there are two men from the hospital downstairs. Hurry up and get your things together. We're leaving. No, Paula. You come up here and take your back with them. Is that what you want?
5: Perhaps. You see, Paula, I can't continue being a burden to you, taking everything and giving
12: nothing. Yeah, I need you. Oh,
5: you need me.
3: I'd only be in the way.
12: Oh, no, Smithy. I spoke to our company manager, and he's he's agreed to give you a job. Oh, I... I can't, Paula. But are you still afraid to face people? It it can't be that you haven't courage. You proved you wanted to live while you were sick. It isn't so much fear of them as a sort of... uneasiness. As if I oughtn't
3: really to be alive and everybody knows it and wonders why I still am. I've got to feel before I can free myself.
12: Let I'll tell you something. If you oughtn't to be here, neither should I, and I wouldn't be but for luck. A house I was living in was hit by a bomb. I was asleep in one room and two people were killed in the next. I wasn't going to tell you that, thought it might upset you, but... Now oh, maybe it'll Jay Upton and we both alike. We're both living on borrowed time. We've nothing to lose. Are you coming? Smithy became one of us. Scene the painter, copywriter, general manager, and whatnot. He had a flair for writing and even wrote some new material for the truth. With a little understanding, his shyness towards strangers was soon run over. We saw a great deal of each other during these busy days. Suddenly, he seemed to change. For once, he depended on me. now went out of his way to avoid me. Then one day, without so much as a goodbye, he was gone. I searched for him and found him the following day at a place called Beeching's Over. Unshaven and haggard-looking, he was asleep on the top of a hill. Wake up, Smithy. Hmm?
5: Oh, Paula. Why did you follow me here?
12: Smithy, why did you run out on me yesterday?
5: Because I can do without you. I know I can.
12: I must. Fiddlesticks, don't boast. Oh, boy, I can do without you, too, for that matter. Oh, let's be independent is all that. Or get out. Let's each fly in different directions and wonder why for the rest of our lives. Oh, Smithy, what have you got to
5: Oh, how could I have anything against you? Except for the same reason I couldn't.
12: Mm, Too subtle, darling, unless you tell me what the reason is. I love you. Yes, you do. You do, really. I loved you ever since I first set eyes on you. As soon as I saw you, the very first moment. Darling, darling, I'm so happy.
8: Paula, when I'm fully
3: recovered and I find a job that can support both of us, will you marry me?
12: (laughs) Darling, I, I think it only takes two weeks that they make you wait. Oh, but I, I'm not right yet.
3: Besides, besides, wouldn't they ask me a lot of questions at the Marriage License
12: Bureau? You mean questions about yourself that you couldn't answer? <clears throat> yes. They might ask you one question. I never have, and that is if you've been married before. Well, of course I haven't. How can you be certain, old oh boy, that awful memory of yours? <laughs> We were married at St. Clement's, Bale Street, London, and we moved into a rickety old attic, and our fondest dream was to build a house at Copper hill that meant so much to us that speechings over. We never returned to the truth. Smithy began to write. Oh, and we were blissfully happy and to add to it. A few weeks later, a letter came from a very important publisher asking that Smithy appear in person. Oh, we're in heaven as the train pulled in that was to take Smithy to Liverpool. Oh, Smithy, I'll miss you. Oh, come along. We're rich, darling. Only in happiness. Well, oh, it doesn't matter if we can't afford it. You know something? Hmm? I've not lost
5: only my memory. I lost my heart to you. Oh,
12: hurry, darling. I'm only half alive while you're away. We belong to the same world. Oh, I know that, too there's something right about it i adore you
5: Missy. you know i don't want to remember anything now anything i've ever forgotten it would be so unimportant. my life began with you and my future goes on with you there's nothing
12: else Paula. oh what a lovely thing to tell me darling i love you oh, i love you too always oh there's
5: a the whistle i better get inside goodbye paula goodbye
6: Oh, darling, come back soon. I will. It's
12: only be a week. Right. But Smithy didn't come
11: back in a week. Or the next week. Or the week after.
2: In a moment, we will present the second act of James Hilton's famous novel Random Harvest, starring Joan Fontaine.
12: romantic search for Smithy began in Liverpool at the office of the publisher with whom he had the appointment. I'm sorry,
5: Mrs. Smith. Your husband never kept his engagement. I never saw him.
12: Please, doctor, did he return to the hospital here in Melbury?
5: No. We've never had word of him since the day he escaped.
12: can you please help me? I'm desperate.
5: We've tried everything. I'm sorry, Mrs. Smith.
12: But he just couldn't disappear off the face of the earth.
2: We printed his description on the front
5: page. There's been no response. Sorry.
6: Anything. Just tell me he's alive.
5: My advice to you is to save your money. When your investigators fail, better give up.
12: For the following eight years, I merely existed. But I never stopped searching. Then, one day, June 10th, 1929... I picked up a newspaper, and on the front page was a picture of Smithy. I cried with joy, and I didn't care who was watching. I read the caption below the picture, Charles Rainier, industrialist, member of the House of Commons, will speak there today. He had discovered his former identity. He was alive! Smithy was alive! Oh, I rushed over to the House of Commons, but I was too late to get in. So I went to the private entrance reserve for members and waited for him. Did you call me, miss? I say, uh, when will he be out?
2: Oh, lady? Smithy. Lady, there's no Smithy in
5: the House of Commons.
12: Oh, yes, I, I am sorry. I, I mean Charles Rainier. Well,
5: the session's over. He'll be out soon.
12: Are you sure he'll come out this door?
5: You a friend of his?
12: Oh, no friend.
5: Don't worry. Charles Rainier will come out of this door. Mm. Are you calling me? Uh, no, Mr. Rainier, but there's a lady waiting here who says she's a friend of yours. Friend? I don't believe we've ever met, young lady.
12: No, uh, I suppose not. I'm sorry I've bothered you in the train. Mm, That's quite all right. Good day. I wanted to follow him, throw my arms around him, and try by sheer force to bring back the memory of the year that we spent so happily together. And then the realization came to me. He'd recovered his memory once before. Perhaps if I could be near him, it it would happen again. I secured employment as a typist in Rainier Enterprises. I became Helen Hanson. And there I learned how he regained his memory. In Liverpool, he was struck by an automobile. And the shock restored his identity of Charles Rainier. After working there for six months, I learned that his personal secretary was leaving I knew I had to get that position. But then I'd be close to him, being able to talk to him, awaken some spark in his memory of the past. Mm-hmm.
5: Yes, what is it?
6: Uh,
12: Mr. Rainey,
5: I... Uh, well, don't be shy. Look
6: up.
12: Mr. Rainier, I understand your secretary has left, and I'd like you to know that without a doubt, if you were to look all over, you wouldn't find anyone more qualified to fill the vacancy. I, I can type at the rate of 80 words a minute, and I take dictation as fast as you can talk. I have my book right now. One home,
9: moment, Mr
12: I, I handle people intelligently on the phone, and I, I'm well-versed in politics. I'm a conservative by choice. My punctuation is perfect, and, though I, I make rather a presentable appearance. It's, it's important to the job, you know, but tomorrow... I'll answer that. Mm, if you don't mind, I'll do it myself. Yes? Oh, hello, come in. Don't bother inviting me in. Hello, my precious.
3: <laughs> hello, Kitty Darling. Oh, uh, this is Miss Hanslet, my, uh new secretary.
12: I'm hired. Oh, you hired me, Mr. Ray. No,
5: no. You hired yourself.
12: Well, that makes two of us for the destitute you, Charles. Miss Hanford, you chose to be his secretary. I chose to be his wife. What? We'll be married in two weeks. And would you believe it, I had to propose to him. In fact, he dodged me so long, I accused him of being in love with another woman. I trapped you, didn't I, darling?
2: Completely and overwhelmingly.
12: Miss Hansett, will you take care of the wedding list and advise the press? Yes, of course, my congratulations to you both. (laughs) This was the end of a dream that kept me alive all these years. I wanted to run someplace, any place. Blot out all the memories that kept crowding into my mind. But in the same moment, I knew my destiny was to remain here beside him. Even if only as a secretary, I, I could never turn back. For the for the next ten years, I tried not to think. I it was useless. And then the letter was delivered to me by special messenger, Mark Charles Rainier. Personal. A, a letter marked, personal, Mr. Rainier.
5: Mm, read it to me, please.
12: I believe it's from your fiance.
5: Read it, won't you, please? You're my secretary. You'll know the contents sooner or later, i have.
12: My dear Charles, I'm writing this in a hurry, but after thinking things out as slowly and carefully as even you could, I I decided decided that I can't marry you. I'm not the one for you, though Lord knows the mistake was excusable for both of us, because I'm nearly the one. I claim that much, and it's something to go on being proud of. But nearly isn't enough for a lifetime. And here's something else that may sound utterly absurd. But let me say it. Sometimes, especially when we've been closest, I've had a curious feeling that I remind you of someone else. Someone you may have met or may yet meet.
3: How could Kitty know?
5: How could she tell? It's
12: true there is someone else.
5: If I only knew... If only I could remember... Oh, I beg your pardon, Miss I How could I possibly make you understand when I can't even explain it to myself?
12: For the next two years, I felt Charles drawing close to me, as if the veil across his memory were about to lift. But as quickly as these moments came... They would be gone, and our relationship would continue in the same polite, yet... manner. I became more than just a secretary. He sought my advice, relied on me to fulfill social obligations. And then one day, while he and I were lunching... I'm all for the merger, Miss I agree. Only, make them come to you.
6: Did it ever
12: occur to you how... Indispensable you are to me. I'd like to think I am. Miss Hanson, Helen, I'd like to submit a plan to you. You sound as if you're about to make a a political speech. Well, it would be less difficult. (laughs) Helen, will you marry me?
13: Oh,
5: don't misunderstand. I don't expect that
3: you're in love with me.
12: You're in love with me?
3: I have great respect and admiration for you. The fact is, I I feel that
5: you're necessary to me in countless ways. You're a born hostess. I've watched you handle people.
12: Yes, I'm very adept at that sort of thing.
5: And you'll accept my plan?
12: Yes, Miss Gerania.
4: Charles. Splendid. Of course, you needn't worry about.
12: I know. We'll just call it a marriage of convenience. During these years of our marriage, I wanted to go to him, tell him who I really was. But I didn't want to force him to love me. I knew if you were ever to know and love me again, he would have to find the way back himself, or not at all.
3: Are you ready for the drive, Mrs. Renier?
12: Yes, Mr. Hilton. Oh, yes.
3: Where would you like to
12: go? a lovely place I know called Beeching's Over. This hill looks as if it had never changed.
3: I don't suppose it has much in a thousand years.
12: That makes twenty more Yesterday. today. Twenty?
3: Mrs. Rainier, what do you mean?
12: Do you mind if I go the rest of the way myself? I can see the summit from here.
3: But Charles has told me about this hill. What does this place mean to you?
12: My life and my dreams. Mm -hmm. Hello. Wake up.
3: I was just resting and... Helen, what on earth are you doing here?
12: I might
3: ask you the same question. I was out driving and I passed this hill. Somehow I had the oddest feeling that I'd been here before.
8: Had you?
6: Helen, I think. Oh, Smithy, Smithy. 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 Helen.
3: I saw them embrace, and I knew then that the gap was closed, that the random years were at an end, that the past and the future would join. I had the ending to my story, and
0: now I could begin to write it.
2: again is James Hilton.
3: Before we close the Hallmark Playhouse for tonight, there are some things I'd like to say about the wonderful performance we've heard here this evening. You see, I knew the heroine of our play tonight longer than anyone. I want to say right here that you, Miss Joan Fontaine, made her the character I wanted her to be. Thank you for such a splendid portrayal.
12: Thank you, Mr. Hilton. Paula was a wonderful girl who had the courage to try to weave the past and the present together. Her thoughtfulness, her tenderness, and understanding helps create a happy life with someone she loved. But now I'm talking in terms you Hallmark people seem to understand so well for your greeting cards deal with thoughtfulness and understanding between friends and loved ones. And I want to thank you for asking me to be here tonight and for giving me the opportunity to play in one of your own fine works. We're happy to have you here anytime, Miss Fontaine. Next Thursday,
3: we'll have Edna Ferber's fine story, So Big, starring Virginia Bruce. And the following week, Barclay Square, starring David Niven. And the week after that, a new American bestseller, Meredith Wilson's book, with the delightful title, And There I Stood with My Piccolo, starring Meredith Wilson himself. Our Hallmark Playhouse is every Thursday. Our director-producer is Dee Engelbach. Our music is composed and conducted by Lynn Murray. And tonight's script was adapted by Jack Rubin. So until next Thursday then, this is James Hilton saying, Good night.
2: Look for Hallmark cards that are sold only in stores that have been carefully selected to give you expert and friendly service. Remember, Hallmark cards, when you carry it up to send the very best. John Fontaine is currently appearing throughout the country in the Rampart picture. You've got to stay happy. This is Mike Goss saying goodnight to you from the Hallmark Playhouse. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Coming up next is one of my favorite ones um, in high school. I I love this one. <laughs> the Devil and Daniel Webster. And um, before we get started on it, if you want to take your intermission break, go get your popcorn or your peanuts or your chips and your Coke or uh, make you up a banana split or whatever you want to do. I'm not having anything today. My stomach is just not feeling like, pretending to mix up anything like I usually do um, so sit back eat enjoy yourself and uh, have a listen to the devil and Daniel Webster
5: and you'll care enough to send the very best Hollywood, the makers of Hallmark greeting cards, bring you a thrilling dramatization of the unforgettable story, The Devil and Daniel Webster, on The Hallmark Playhouse. Tonight's story, as well as those we will present every week, was chosen from a whole world of fiction, from the best works of fine writers, by one of the world's most popular authors. His knowledge of stories that will grip your imagination and stir your emotions is universally recognized, for he is the author of such wonderful novels as Goodbye, Mr. Chips, Random Harvest, Lost Horizon, and many others you have loved in books and on the screen. Hallmark is proud to present the distinguished novelist, Mr. James Hilton.
0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. For our opening story on the Hallmark Playhouse, we have selected Stephen Vincent Benet's The Devil and Daniel Webster. It happens to be a classic, and I'm partial to classics. And it honors American tradition, as well as a great American, and I'm partial to them, too. It even gives gives the devil his due. But the real reason we chose it for this opening program was because we like it, and we hope you like it. It's not only a great story, it's a good story, if you get what I mean. In fact, we might all of us settle once and for all on our rather simple requirement for stories in this program, that they shall be good enough to give you good entertainment. That being so, they can be anything else they want to be. We have the bookshelves of the world at our disposal. From the pages of the most skillful storytellers, old and new, we shall try to bring you adventure, romance, fantasy, excitement, comedy, now and then a tear or a mood that stays. For the fine teller of tales does just that. He slips into your heart and leaves you something to think about.
5: Yes, Mr. Hilton, what's the thought left behind by your own lovable Mr. Chips? The simple request he made of his pupils when he said to them think of me as I shall certainly think of you.
0: Yes, I remember him saying that.
5: We think they are significant words, Mr. Hilton, because they express, as well as any we know, the reason for remembering to send Hallmark cards. For there is a Hallmark card for every occasion on which you want your friends to know you are thinking of them. Hallmark cards say just what you want to say, the way you want to say it. Won't you remember to look on the back of the card for those three identifying words, a Hallmark card. They tell your friends you cared enough To send the very best. Now, Mister Hilton, we're ready for tonight's story.
0: One of Stephen Vincent Benet's favorite figures in American history was Daniel Webster, and he wrote at least two stories about this famous American statesman and the legends that surround him. Here is his story of the Devil and Daniel Webster.
9: story they tell in the border country, where Massachusetts joins Vermont and New Hampshire.
5: Yes, Daniel Webster's dead, or at least they
8: buried him. But they say that if you go to his grave and speak loud and clear, Daniel Webster, Daniel Webster, the ground will
9: begin to shiver and the trees will begin to shake. And after a while, you'll hear a
5: deep voice saying, neighbor, how stands the union? Then you better answer. The Union stands as she stood, rock bottom and copper sheet, and one and indivisible. Or he's liable to
0: rear right up out of the ground. Daniel Webster, a man, but
5: something more than a man. (laughs) A legend, but something a great deal bigger than a legend. There are thousands that trusted in him right next to God Almighty and they told stories about him that were like the stories of the patriarchs. But the biggest case, he argued, never got written down in the books, for he argued it against the devil, nip and tuck and no holes barred. And this is the way it used to be told. There was a man named Jabez Stone, lived at Cross Corners, New Hampshire. He wasn't a bad man, but he was an unlucky man. When he planted his fields in corn, The borers ate them before they flowered. When he planted potatoes, the blight rotted them in the ground. The I'm telling you about, he broke his plowshare on a rock. The same afternoon, his cow dropped dead. And that night, when he went out to have a look at his horse... Oh, Tom. Oh, Tom, where are you? Oh, Tom. Oh, Tom, where are you, fella? Oh... Oh, Tom. Cold. Stone cold. The cow and now the horse in one day. I swear it's enough to make a man want to sell his soul to the devil. And for two cents, I'd sell mine.
6: <laughs> J.B. Stone. J.B. Stone. Stone. What
5: was that? Did someone call?
7: Is someone out there? Jane! 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 What is it, darling?
6: Oh, Jane. What on earth is wrong, David?
7: Why did you bolt the door? I thought I heard. I thought I heard. Heard
5: what? When the thunder crashed, I thought I heard someone call me.
7: Thunder? What thunder?
5: Well, the thunder just now.
7: (laughs) I didn't hear any thunder.
5: You didn't hear any thunder?
7: No, dear. You must have imagined it. I
5: hope I imagined it.
7: If, but I hope I
5: imagined it.
9: All the next day, Jabez Stone kept glancing over his shoulder as he went about his work. A growing uneasiness prowling inside him that would
5: not be stilled. And sure enough, just after supper, a soft-spoken, dark-dressed gentleman drove up in a handsome buggy and asked for Jabez Stone. You sent for me, I believe, Mr. Stone? Well, uh, no, not exactly. I... Not exactly. <laughs> now, Mr. Stone, the tones were most exact and unmistakable. Sorry I couldn't get here last night. But I'm on the road quite a bit, you know. I was busy in Europe. Who are you? I'm usually called Scratch hereabouts. Names as good as any. here. Oh, yeah. We'd better walk out behind the barn. My my wife might see you. (laughs) As you like. Dogs don't like me somehow. It's rather sad. We've never had a dog down there. I, uh... When I said that last night... You know, this could be a very profitable farm. Location is excellent. With a little influence properly applied, you could become a very wealthy man. Let's sit on the fence. Take a look at it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I see when I look around me, neighbor stone... I see fields of plenty and a new barn. I see fat cattle and sleek horses. I see a pine house. And I see you, a prosperous gentleman, surveying your domains. How does that sound to you? Oh, it sounds like heaven. Ah, it's not precisely the most appropriate word for it. In any case, it wasn't heaven that you called in for help. I, I didn't call on you for help. Pardon the contradiction, neighbor Stone, but you did, most insistently. Well, let me see, the price mentioned was uh, two cents, I believe. Of course we'll raise that. I don't believe in driving a mean bargain. Suppose we make it seven years of prosperity. Seven years? Of all the things you ever wanted for <laughs> your wife and your children for seven years. Prestige, position, money. Well,
3: I, I don't know. I could
5: hold you to the original bargain, you know. I could give you the two cents and take your soul right now. But I've had a good week, and I don't mind letting you get the best of me. You will have everything you want for seven years, neighbor Stone. I've worked so hard, I... I had such good intentions. <laughs> well, you know what road is paved with good intentions, Jabers. Here, give me your hand. Let's seal the bargain. I, I never thought I'd make a bargain with me. No, no, most men don't. But you'd be surprised how many of them are glad to do it when the shoe begins to pinch a little. Poverty becomes such a tiresome dead fellow. Come, neighbor, Stone. I have business elsewhere. Give me your hand. Now, I'll just prick your finger with this pin, one drop of blood, and the bargain's official. There we are. Now, if you'll just put your signature to this document, here's a quill. Better wrap your handkerchief around it. You may find it a little hot to handle. Uh, sign on the bottom line, please. Very good, neighbor Stone. Very good indeed. Well, I'll be on my way. Is it dawn already? Time goes fast in my company, chambers. Very fast. Very fast. Uh, oh, wait a minute Wait a minute uh, He's gone He's gone And I don't know whether I've gained the world Or lost it
7: David, where have you been all night?
5: Oh, out here, thinking
7: What? Jesus puts this bag on the ground Bag? That's odd
5: It's warm Give me that Let me see it
7: yes, What is it?
5: Gold, Jane. It's filled with gold pieces.
6: Gold?
7: What well, where did it come from? It's mine. Yours? Where would you get a bag of gold pieces? It's mine. Mine, <coughs> mine. Mine.
5: Uh, no, Jane. Here, take it and spend it. <coughs> Do whatever you want.
7: David, I don't want any part of that money.
5: No part of it?
7: Oh, David, give it back. Wherever you got it, give it back.
5: I can't. I've accepted it. I I can't give it back.
10: All right, Davis. I'd better be seeing breakfast. Jane!
3: I'll
10: call you when it's ready.
3: Then I've lost the world. I've lost the world.
5: Of Hallmark Greeting Cards. America's favorite greeting cards are bringing you The Devil and Daniel Webster by Stephen Vincent Benet, a story selected for you by James Hilton on the Hallmark Playhouse. Now let's go back some 200 years to an 18th century drawing room in London. The occasion is a literary tea. Several elegant men in knee breeches and powdered wigs, and women in billowish skirts and lace caps, are gathered around the guest of honor. This is the man destiny has marked as the greatest of all English painters. Through sheer, untutored genius, he has astounded the world of art and letters with the unique quality of his work. But William Hogarth, despite his greatness, is a simple man. And so, when he is asked the question concerning his genius, and the room grows quiet awaiting his answer, all he says is this. Genius is nothing but labor and diligence. Yes, in addition to real talent, it does take real diligence to make the difference between what is ordinary and what is outstanding. And the folks who make Hallmark cards never forget that this is true. That's why so much painstaking care goes into the expression of even the simplest sentiment created by the makers of Hallmark cards. You see, they're not making just cards. They're making Hallmark cards, greeting cards that are warm and friendly and sincere, cards that say just what you want to say, the way you want to say it. That's why Hallmark cards are America's favorite greeting cards, And that's why those three identifying words on the back, a hallmark card, tell your friends you cared enough to send the very best. Now James Hilton presents the second act of a great story by another famous writer, The Devil and Daniel Webster, by Stephen Vincent Benet.
0: We're midway in Stephen Vincent Benet's story of The Devil and Daniel Webster. The spell is laid. The charms wound up. David Stone is enjoying his years of prosperity. Daniel Webster is making up speeches to use against John C. Calhoun. And old Scratch is counting off the years. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The seventh year. The year of reckoning. Listen. It was morning of the
5: last day of the seventh year and scratch came up through Jabers Stone's lower fields, switching his boots with a cane. I was just looking over the property, Neighbor Stone. I trust you have your affairs in order. I'll be here to get you promptly at the hour of midnight. I'm not going with you. I won't go. You can't make me go. Oh, won't you, Neighbor Stone? You'll find that I'll carry your soul off in this handkerchief as simply as though it were a butterfly. Put that handkerchief away. Leave me. Get out of my sight. Leave me. Until midnight, Jabers. Until midnight. Oh, can't. No
3: Who can I turn to?
5: What can I do? He stood there, one man, alone and terrified, looking into hell. And then,
0: then, like a cool, peaceful hand resting for a
5: moment on his soul, the thought came to him, Daniel Webster... Daniel Webster. I'll go to Daniel Webster. I'll go to
6: Daniel Webster.
5: Well, that's the whole story, Mr. Webster. I, I can't tell you how grateful I am for you, for you coming with me. I, if anyone can help me, I know you can. Well, neighbor Stone, if you New Hampshiremen aren't a match for the devil, we might as well give the country back to the Indians. Huh? It's almost midnight. I'm sure he'll be prompt upon the hour. Wouldn't you uh, Wouldn't you like to wait in the parlor? No, indeed. The New England parlor's too cold for me, but I'd love a New England kitchen. Oh, he'll be here any moment. <laughs> Relax, Jabez. Sit quiet. Enjoy the fire. Oh, Mr. Webster. Mr. Webster, I should never have brought you here. I didn't realize what I was doing. Suppose he were to get you, too. Harness your horses and get out of here. Well, I'm much obliged to you, neighbor Stone. It's kindly thought of, but there's a jug on the table and a case in hand and I never left a jug or a case half finished in my life. (coughs) Uh Uh-huh. I thought your clock was a trifle slow, Neighbor Stone. Well, let us admit our distinguished visitor. Well, Mr. Webster, I presume. Attorney of record for Jabez Stone. Come in, sir. Thank you, Mr. Webster. Good evening, Neighbor Stone. Oh, you don't seem to be in very good health, Neighbor Stone. But a warm climate should do wonders for your condition. Oh, I'd like to see your documents, Mr. Scratch. Certainly, I have it right here. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you observe that it's in good order. Very well. I've seen enough of it. Well, now, Mr. Scratch, suppose we offer to compromise this case. Compromise it? Mr. Webster, you astound me. Why should I compromise when I'm legally entitled to all? The property has increased in value since this was signed. Mr. Stone is now up for the State Senate. State Senators are worth more than this note calls A State Senator is worth no more nor less than any other man. I admire your spirit, Mr. Webster, and your efforts on behalf of your client, but I'm rather pressed for time. Pressed or not, you shall not have this man. Mr. Stone is an American citizen, and no American citizen may be forced into the service of a foreign prince. We fought England for that in 12, and we'll fight all hell for it again. At any time, it's necessary. Foreign? And who calls me a foreigner? Well, I never heard of the dev of your claiming American citizenship. And who with better right, Am I not in your books and stories and beliefs from the first settlements on? Am I not spoken of still in every church in New England? (laughs) It's true the North claims me for a southerner and the South for a northerner. But I'm neither. I'm merely an honest American like yourself and of the best descent. But to tell the truth, Mr. Webster, though I don't like to boast of it, my name is older in this country than yours. Very well. Then I stand on the Constitution. I demand a trial for my client. Well, the case is hardly one for an ordinary court, and indeed the lateness of the hour... Let it be any court you choose, so it's an American judge and an American jury. Let it be the alive or the dead. I'll abide the issue. Agreed, Mr. Webster, agreed. The alive or the dead, you say? Very well. We'll take the dead. Who comes at this hour? The jury, Mr. Webster, the man. you must pardon the rough appearance of one or two, they will have come a long way. The seat, Settlement. Over there on the right. May I introduce the jury, Mr. Webster? Walter Butler, the loyalist, who spread fire and horror through the Mohawk Valley in the time of the Revolution. Simon Gertie, the renegade, who saw white men burned at the stake and shouted with the Indians, Stephen Burn, Governor Dale, Morton of Merrimouth, teach the pirate, dance speak the strangler. I won't bore you with further identification. I'm sure you recognize most of them and all of them played a part in American history. Well, are you satisfied with the jury, Mr. Webster? Quite satisfied. Good. You wanted a justice, I believe. I bring you Justice Hathorn, a jurist of experience. He presided at certain witch trials once held in Salem. There were others who repented of the business later, but not he. Lawyers, lawyers,
9: lawyers! this fire was now in session. Justice Hawthorne presiding. reciting. lawyers, lawyers. Oh,
5: Proceed, Mr. Scratch. Your Honor, I can take the case with me. I have here a document which calls for Jabez Stone to deliver his soul unto me at midnight this night. Jabez Stone has seen fit to engage Mr. Webster to question the legality of this document. <coughs> I therefore submit the deed which you will find in good order. I object. Your Honor, Mr. Scratch is trying to influence the jury by establishing... The Since we have established that the deed is in good order and the signature is that of Jaber Stone, I request the jury to find for the plaintiff and deliver Jaber Stone unto me. The jury finds to the plaintiff. Court dismissed. Oh, come, sir, this is ridiculous. Am I not even to be heard? Is my client to be given no voice at all? Surely even in hell there is some form of justice. We believe in the letter of the law, Mr. Webster. The a man sells his soul, he cannot claim it back. And there's no use attempting any appeal to our hearts. That is our least vulnerable spot. I wouldn't dream of it. But you're a gambler, Mr. Scratch. And as a gambler, you surely wouldn't want to miss a challenge. Challenge? Do you think you could move this jury? I don't know. But let me gamble for the soul of Jabez Stone. And if you lose, what stakes you put up? my own soul. Ah! Well, Mr. Webster, now you do tempt us. Speak for your client. Gentlemen of the jury, I ask you to remember for a few minutes that you once were men. For though a devil can never know what it is to live,
3: or to die.
5: A man can never forget. I ask you to remember all the good things of living and how those things sicken and die without freedom. You of the jury are Americans. You two played a part in this country. But as now looking back it isn't the part you wished you had played. For the knowledge of personal failure and lack of honor must be the greatest agony of any hell. But you were Americans, and you saw the seeds of liberty sprout and begin to grow. Somewhere during those days, each of you lost his way. There was no chance for you to go back and attempt to make up for the things you've done. But now, you can. Let one man return from the edge of hell and start over for himself and for you. Gentlemen of the jury, I ask you to look at Jabez Stone. There he is. One ordinary blundering American who had a run of hard luck and wanted to change it. Don't let him be punished for that to all eternity. Gentlemen of the jury, I... I beg you. Remember what it is to love the one spot of land that each man calls his home. Remember what it is to love the one woman who tends your heart fire, to hold your children within your arms, to plan and dream and grow and... Remember what it is to feel the wind of New Hampshire on your face and the earth under you and the red blood singing in your veins. Remember the sound of the word liberty and how that word caught fire and blazed until it became a light and hope and warped to an entire world. Gentlemen of the jury, remember that you were American and are still American. That this man who stands before you is of your flesh, and of your dreams, and of your soil, and you, and only you, stand between him and the devil. The defense rests. Jury, retire consider its verdict. The jury has considered its verdict, Your Honor. We find for the defendant, Jabez Stone. Perhaps it's not strictly in accordance with the evidence, but even the damned may salute the eloquence of Mr.
8: Webster. They're gone. They're
5: all gone. Well, I won't say that I'm pleased about the verdict, but nevertheless, my congratulations as between two gentlemen. I'll have Jabez Stone's contract, if you please. Yes, Mr. Webster. There. Now, then, regarding the costs of the case, I want a document promising never to bother Jabez Stone or his heirs or assigns nor any other New Hampshireman till doomsday. For any Hades we want to raise in this state, we can raise ourselves without assistance from strangers. <laughs> It is done. Here, glance it over. You'll find it in good order. Mm, thank you. Yes, it will do nicely. Well, you certainly get things done in a hurry when you want to, don't you? The resources of evil are infinite, Mr. Webster.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
5: All right, you long barreled, slab sided, lantern, dog, <laughs> cloven footed note shaver. Be off with you. They off to your own place before I put my mark on you. Well, if you insist. Good night. Goodbye, Mr. Stone. And Mr. Webster, I don't suppose we'll be meeting again, but uh, say lovey. Say lovey. Good night. Mr. Webster, I'm never going to be able to thank you. Well, now let's see what's left in the jug. Well, it's dry work talking all night. Now, there's pie for breakfast, neighbor Stone. (laughs) Well, we got the best of Scratch. <laughs> well,
0: that's the story of the devil and Daniel Webster. And they say that whenever the devil comes near Marshfield, even now, he gives it a wide berth, and he hasn't been seen in the state of New Hampshire from that day to this, thanks to Daniel Webster.
5: In a moment, James Hilton will return, now that Daniel Webster has taken care of the devil and put him in his place. So in one big jump, we leave the devil and open the gates of heaven, that is the children's heaven, because I want to tell you about the Hallmark Doll Collector's Album. Children are going to have more fun than ever collecting Hallmark dolls now that there's a lovely new album to put them in. It gives you a new and inexpensive way to make some child very happy. And during this introductory period, the album is only 25 cents when you buy one or more of the Hallmark dolls. You'd expect the album alone to be worth a dollar, but you can give your little boy or girl or some little friend The Hallmark Doll Collector's Album with three beautiful Hallmark Dolls in it to start a collection for only one dollar. It's a wonderful and truly different gift that will make any child's heart leap with joy. Then later, you or friends and relatives can help complete the entire collection of 16 colorful Hallmark Dolls. The dolls are as easy to send as any Hallmark greeting card and cost only 25 cents each. And each new doll added to the collection will mean a new thrill for a child. So step in tomorrow and see this new album at the store where you buy your Hallmark cards. Remember, the album with three dollars in it to start the collection is only one dollar. Now here again is James
0: Hilton. I think you'd like to know that Daniel Webster was played by John McIntyre and Mr. Scratch by Alan Reed, two Hollywood's finest actors in two very fine parts. Now next week, ladies and gentlemen, we present for the first time on the air a delightful romantic comedy by Douglas Welch called Mrs. Union Station. I won't try to tell you what it's about, but I'll say this much. We've certainly been having fun getting ready, and I'm really looking forward to it. So until next week, this is James Hilton saying good night.
5: Tonight's story was adapted for radio by Gene Holloway. The music was composed and conducted by Lynn Murray. To be doubly sure of the finest quality, always look on the back of your cards for those three identifying words, a Hallmark card. Hallmark cards are sold only in stores that have been carefully selected if they give you expert and friendly service. Remember, Hallmark cards, when you care enough to send the very best. Next Thursday night, James Hilton presents this story selection for the week, the first radio performance of Mr. Union Station. So until then, this is Frank Goss saying goodnight to you all. This program has come to you from the Hallmark Playhouse. This is CBS Columbia Broadcasting System. This is KMBC, Kansas City,
6: Missouri.
1: I hope you enjoyed The Devil and Daniel Webster as much as I have always enjoyed it. This next one is called There Was Room for a Stranger. And I liked it. I hope you do too. You're
2: Your
6: thoughtfulness.
2: The makers of Hallmark greeting cards bring you the true and heartwarming story of a lonely young man's Christmas Eve in a small American town, starring Frank Sinatra. Of a century, quality has been a habit with the makers of Hallmark cards. They are the kind of cards you can be proud to send, proud to receive. That's why, through the years, Hallmark cards have been America's favorite greeting cards. So if you want to send the very finest, look on the back for the three identifying words a Hallmark card. These three words, a Hallmark card, are your assurance of finest quality. They tell your friends you cared enough to send the very best. And now, as usual, here is Richard Colmer, well-known Broadway actor and producer, to preside over tonight's Hallmark program. Mr. Colmer. Thank you, Tom Shirley, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Our guest tonight is a fairly successful and fortunate young man. He's one of the stars of the MGM Technicolor musical Till the Clouds Roll By. He has his own radio show on CBS for old gold cigarettes every Wednesday night. He has a voice and a degree of personal charm that has made him the idol of a generation of Americans. And he has at his disposal this evening what I consider to be one of the very finest dramatic scripts that we've ever presented on the Hallmark program. Ladies and gentlemen, Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. Thanks,
5: Dick. I say, I certainly agree with you about tonight's script. And as Crosby might say, Mr. Robert Sloan's sensitive and persuasive treatment of this Reader's Digest narrative is a vertebral
2: classic of dramaturgic felicity. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would you say it, Frank? Well, I, I think I'd call it a happy story, and I'm glad it's a true one.
5: I think it proves something pretty wonderful about the American people. There's a kind of warmth here, Dick, a spirit of friendly giving without thought of return that you don't quite find anywhere else. I'm kind of glad you invited me to be on the Hallmark program tonight, Dick, and I'm glad the story is the rich human report of an incident one Christmas Eve in Illinois. There was room for a stranger.
2: He was sitting on a suitcase in a crowded railroad station, waiting for the gateman to announce his train. He was a Navy flyer just back from overseas, and he was having trouble finding a comfortable position for his leg, the one who was hurt in the crash. He was going to be operated on in two days at the Great Lakes Naval Hospital, but you'd never have known it to look at him. He was sitting there smiling like the happiest guy in the world. Because it was December 24th, 1943, and he was going to spend Christmas with his girl.
6: Water.
4: Water,
5: get these bags. Uh, Sorry, sir. I'm
2: taking 61? That's us, isn't it, Porter? Yes, sir. That's us, all right. Uh, here,
5: let me help you up, sir. No, no, I can... I can make it.
2: There.
5: Come on, let's get going.
2: Yes, sir, yes. Oh, here, <laughs> yeah, yeah, here now. Don't pick up your bag, sir. That's what you got me for. <laughs> I didn't realize I had it. You sure is in a powerful hurry to get aboard, sir. I hope you ain't gonna make me run. I'm not running, am I? I, I just don't want to miss that train. Yes, sir. She must be uh, awful pretty, sir. Yeah, mm-hmm.
5: Yes, he is. I mean, gosh, is it that easy to tell it I'm thinking about it? Yes, sir. <laughs> well, we we better get going. Yes, sir. Uh, excuse me, sir. Are you Lieutenant Scott, Lieutenant Joel Scott? Yes, that's right. Oh, well, I'm glad I found you. I have a telegram for you. Telegram? Uh, yes, sir. Will you uh, sign here, please? Oh, oh, sure, thanks.
2: All right. Want me to go ahead, sir?
5: No, no, wait a minute. i better read this first. It might be official and, you know... Uh Uh-oh. It's from my commanding officer.
2: It, uh, ain't bad, is it?
5: Yeah, kind of. Look, report to Great Lakes Naval Station noon, December 25th. Sorry, must
2: cancel leave. December 25th? Uh, that's, uh, tomorrow, sir. Yeah. He could have wished me a Merry Christmas. is like Stanville Corners. Uh, this cowcatchers stops them all, don't it? Yeah, it looks that way. I generally take a sleeper on this run, but um,
5: I couldn't get one this time. War, you know, kind of cuts in on a traveling man.
6: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I
5: was a gunnery sergeant in the last one, but uh, they wouldn't take me for this one somehow. They said I might just well be right on selling baby nipples. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, uh, going home for Christmas? No. I didn't think you were. I kind of got a glimpse of that telegram you were reading without meaning to, of course, but, uh, you read it so many times I couldn't help seeing that part about the hospital. Oh, that's all right. You don't have to apologize. No secret where I'm going. Must the matter, son? They're going to do something about your leg? I don't know what they're going to do. Lots of things, I guess. What difference does it make? Don't you care? Well, oh, sure I care. I'm just a little browned off. That's all. I was figuring on spending Christmas with my girl. Oh, haven't you seen her yet? No, not since I got back. Well, uh, where she live? I get around the country a lot. Maybe I could look her up and tell her that I oh, I couldn't ask you to do that. She
2: she lives in Belport,
5: Illinois. Yeah. Well, that's not so
2: far from here. It's only about an hour or so from Rockford Junction. It doesn't do me much good. Where's Rockford Junction? Well, it's just a couple of stations up the line. We get there about midnight. Mm, what if we do? Well, let me see now. If um, if you don't have to be at Great Lakes till noon, I think you can make it. Make what? Connections. All you have to do is get a train over to Belport and be back in time to pick up the next local to Great Lakes... And I know there's one about six o'clock in the morning because I've been on it.
5: Look, I don't know what you're talking about. Christmas is tomorrow. Yeah, but it's tonight too, son, after midnight. Now, if you can get over to Belport and back, you might be able to spend a few hours with her. At one o'clock in the morning? Why not? I bet she'd be willing to see you anytime, especially on Christmas morning.
2: Hey, I'll uh, I'll look it up in the schedule.
5: She sure would be kind of nice. I could send her a telegram. Yes, and...
2: sir. Here we are right here. Leave Rockford Junction at twelve twenty-two. Arrive at Belport at uh 115 AM.
5: And you can get the 430 back to the main line. I can? Let me see that. Sure,
2: it's right here, Senator, her black and white. You can have a little over four hours with her. If she meets you at the station. Oh, she'd do that all right. The only thing is, I I'll have to send her a telegram for the next. Danville
5: station. Corners! Danville Corners!
2: Gosh, I I don't have much time to make up my
5: mind, do I? I didn't know you had to make it up, son. Well, I don't, but... Say, conductor! Conductor! Yes, sir?
2: Have I got time to stop off here and send a wire?
5: Mm, You better hurry, son. We only stay here a minute.
2: Well, can't you just... I mean... All right, all right. Put it down on a piece of paper, and I'll give it to the station master myself. Gee, thanks, conductor. Thanks a million. (laughs) junction. Right for junction. Here, let me help you with that grip, son. Oh,
5: well, I'm, I'm all right. I, I don't need any help, thanks.
2: Well, take care of yourself, Lieutenant. Merry Christmas. You bet. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Right. So long, Conductor. So long, son.
6: I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the one Looking for a cab, sir? Why, well,
5: uh, are no, thanks. Well, I don't drive one. I, I'm the station master. I just wanted to tell you we don't have any taxi cabs here at the junction, but if you need a lift with that bag, I'll be glad. Well, for... thanks a lot, but you see, I'm not staying here tonight. I'm just waiting for the 1222 to Belport. Pardon? The 1222 to Belport. It'll be along any minute, won't it? Why, are you expecting somebody on it, son? Oh, no, I'm going to take it myself. Gone up to meet my girl. Ah. Oh. Haven't seen her for a long time, and, well, we'll be together for a couple of hours anyway. Hey, it's a great night, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, only I was just wondering, i uh, never seen you around these parts before. How'd you know there was a 1222 to 1240? Are you kidding? No, sir. Well, it says so right here on the timetable here. Look. Well, that's uh, a regular train, all right, but you know it's after midnight, son. Today's Christmas. What what do you mean? Well, look down here in the fine print. You can see what it says. Uh, Trains marked with a star will not run Thanksgiving Day or December 25th. Gee, it's cold, huh? Where are you taking me? Is, isn't there a phone on the station? No, not a pay phone. Let's go down to Woody's restaurant over here. It's at the end of the platform. Oh. If you get a chance, you ought to try some of that pumpkin pie Woody's got. His missus bakes it herself, and it's pretty. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll try it right after I make my phone call. Are you sure I can't get a cab or a bus or anything to Bellport tonight? Uh, no, sir. Not this late, but I'll tell you what you can do. What's that? Maybe a girl come down, meet you here. There's a train leaves Bellport 115, and that one is running tonight. Oh, gee, I don't know now. That would be asking an awful lot. That's well, up to you, son. Uh, uh, this is Woody's place, right here. Oh, thank you. Ray. It's all right. Uh, I'm coming in with you for some of that pie. Hiya, Woody. All
8: right.
5: Got a young fella here. Wants to use your phone.
2: <laughs> yeah, sure. Right over here on the wall. On, on the wall? Yeah. I thought maybe you had one in the booth. In the booth? (laughs) Oh, well, uh, I guess it isn't that important. It's just
5: that I'm going to be talking to my girl. Ah, shucks, son. We won't listen in, but besides, I'm sure there's nothing you could say it wouldn't make decent hearing for other folks. Yeah, I I guess so. (laughs) I'll have some of that pie, Woody. Yeah, you bet. Hello, Uh, operator, will you get me Bellport 9613, please? Here you are, Harry. First baker's news. Don't make so much noise. Uh, just a minute, operator. I'll, I'll have it for you in a second. Hey, here, here, You need some change? Oh, thanks. I'll pay you back soon as I get the. Take your time. It's uh, good, goodbye,
8: Woody.
2: Hello? Hello, Susan? This is me, honey, Joe. Yeah, I'm over here at Rockford
5: Junction. Did you get my wire? Oh, I'm all right. But listen, baby, this, this train to Belport, it, it isn't running tonight. So I don't think I'll be able to see you. No, not unless you wanted to come over here. Well, there wouldn't be much to do, you know. We'd both be strangers in town and... Well, yes, sure. Yeah, there's a train from, from Belport, all right. Now, oh, hold on a second. I'll find out when it leaves. Say, would would you tell me it when the Belfort at one fifteen gets here at two o four? Thank
6: you very much. Hello,
5: Susan. Look, it leaves Belfort at one fifteen. But you think it's all right for you to?
8: Sure, sure. I want to see you
5: more than anything in the world. No, it, it isn't that. It. I just can't talk very well here. The phone's on the wall and. Will? Gee, that's swell. All right, baby. Look, you
2: bundle up warm now, and I'll meet you at the train.
5: Yeah. And Sue, I don't care who's listening. I love you more than anything in the whole world.
2: Sinatra will be back in just a moment with the second act of tonight's Hallmark Drama from the pages of the Reader's Digest, America's Favorite Magazine. Now, here's Dick Homer. There's something really new, really different in Christmas cards this year. The new Hallmark Game Bird cards, designed especially for men. These cards feature twelve different illustrations of America's favorite game birds in their rich, natural color. Each is a faithful reproduction of one of Lynn Bogue Hunt's famous paintings, Game Birds of America. These new Hallmark Game Bird cards really talk a man's language. They're really Christmas cards to send to any man and for every man to send. Masculine as a briar pipe, friendly as a log fire, colorful as all outdoors. Yes, Dick, they're cards that really talk a man's language. But I would like to make a suggestion to all the wives in our audience. When you're shopping tomorrow... Take home one or more portfolios of Game Bird cards for your husband to send to his special friends. He'll think they're wonderful. Yes, for really new Christmas cards this year, ask your dealer for Hallmark Game Bird cards, designed especially for men. Hallmark cards are sold in America's finest shops and stores. Now, back to Frank Sinatra and tonight's Hallmark drama. the 115 from Bellport pulled into Rockford Junction, Lieutenant Joel Scott was standing on the station platform watching for the beam of light that would tell him his sweetheart's train was arriving. It wasn't exactly the warmest night of the year, but when that light shone down on the tracks, it felt as if somebody had just built a fire under Joel's heart. And when the train ground to a stop and a young lady alighted from the car before the last, he really knew it was Christmas.
6: Over
10: here, baby. I'm over here. No, don't run, darling. I'll come to you. Oh, Joe. Oh, darling, it's so good to see you. So awfully good. Well, gee,
2: don't cry about it, honey. You'll make me blubber in a moment. (laughs)
10: All right, I I won't cry. I I didn't when you left, and I'm not going to now.
5: That's a good girl.
10: It's just that you look so different, darling. I wasn't used to seeing you this way.
5: Well, let's not think about things like that now. It's Christmas, baby. And we're spending it together, part of it anyway.
10: Oh, the best part.
5: You bet.
2: Gosh, I never thought we'd make it.
10: When do you have to leave,
2: Joe? 6.30. 6.31, to be exact. But that's four hours from now. And we're going to make those four hours
5: seem like a lifetime.
10: Sure we are. Oh, darling, there's so much to talk about. Where we start? Where we go?
2: Well, uh, I don't know. This town's dead in the doornail after 10 o'clock. Do you see any lights on anywhere?
10: Not on this side. Just street lights.
2: That's all there is
5: on the other side, too. See, I was hoping there might be a dance or something going on, but it
2: certainly doesn't look like it.
10: Oh, I don't care about dancing. Not tonight. I just want to be with you.
2: Well, we can't just stand out here in the cold. We've got to find a place
5: to sit down. Yeah,
10: sure. What about the station?
5: Locked up for the night. Oh. The whole town's locked up, as far as I can see. I guess we'll have to go back to that broken-down restaurant where I made the call. Oh, all right. Well, it's not much, sweetie, but it's about the only place we can keep warm. Do you mind?
10: Oh, of course not.
5: Gee, I'm sorry, darling. I... I really should have realized what we were up against before I asked you to come all the way down here. Now,
10: don't be silly. I want to go to the restaurant. I'm hungry. You are? Why, sure. Come on.
5: Okay. It's right down here at the end of the... Uh Uh-oh.
10: What's the matter?
5: Look, the lights are out. Now, that place is closed, too. (laughs)
10: Joe, look out! You'll get run over!
5: Wow, that guy was really gone.
10: Oh, yes. Oh, they all seem to be going like that on this road. Darling, don't you think we ought to go back to the station instead of trying to hitch a ride? Nobody will stop for us at this
5: time of night. Yeah, we've got to find a place to eat, honey. You must be nearly starved by oh, now. Oh,
10: no, I just said that. I'm not really hungry.
5: Well, I am. Hungry and... Hungry and tired and fed up with this tank town. I never should have brought you down here.
6: Sure.
5: I'm sorry, honey. I don't mean to be such a rotten sport, but I wanted everything to be so right for us tonight. And it's all gone just the opposite way. It's
10: still Christmas, Joel.
5: Is it? It doesn't feel like Christmas anymore. Oh,
10: now, don't say that, darling.
5: Well, it doesn't. Not in this godforsaken town. I'll bet you Santa Claus stays away from this place, like that train with a star on it.
10: Oh, oh, Joel, there's a car coming.
5: Some Christmas. Can't even find a place to sit down.
10: Darling, darling, there's a car coming.
5: let it come. I'm not in the way.
10: darling. He's slowing down. Oh, maybe he'll stop for us.
5: Say that. Uh, ride, mister. Give us a ride. Sure thing, son. Where are you headed? Well, oh, just down the way a little bit. We're looking for a diner so we could get something to eat. Well, hop in. I'll get you to a diner. Swell. Come on, Sue. All
10: right, dear. Yeah, let
5: me put that suitcase in back, son. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Say, aren't you the man that I... Yeah, that's right, son. Hey, I'm Station Master. Well, we sure are glad you came along. Say, this is my girl, Harry. Yeah, pleased to meet you. How'd you do? I reckon you must think Rockford Junction just about the worst place in the world to come to, ma'am.
10: Oh, I wouldn't say that. Well, it is. In
5: the middle of the night. Especially for a stranger. Say, uh, what are you doing, Harry? Turning around. What for? is there a diner in the direction you were going? No. Oh,
10: well, we didn't mean to take you out of your way.
5: All right, I've got
10: plenty of time.
5: Well, look, I don't get it. There's a diner right down there, Harry. I can see the light. Oh, that, that place is closed.
10: What's the light, Tom? Oh, I didn't see
5: any light. Well, I did. Hey, what's the idea of turning off the main road? Where are you taking us? It's to a diner.
9: Is that where you want to go?
5: Sure, but you'll never find one on a dirt road.
6: Oh, you know I won't.
5: Don't ask so many questions, son. I'm taking a shortcut. Joe,
10: it's so dark on this road. don't
5: be afraid, ma'am. Nothing's going to happen to you. You can say that again, because you're going to pull up right here and let us out. Now, keep your seat, son. Uh
8: Uh-uh. I ain't going to do anything of the kind. Now, wait a minute. Sit down, I said. I'll let you out when
6: I'm good and ready.
8: All right. You can get out right here.
5: Right where? I thought you said you were taking us to a diner. Changed my mind. I brought you up to this place instead. You can get a meal in here. In where? Right in this house. Come on. There isn't much time.
10: Joe, do you think we'll. Come on,
5: come on. You don't have to stay if you don't like the place. <laughs> I just thought you might enjoy this better than going to a diner. After all, it's uh, Christmas. Oh, but there aren't any lights on in this house. Sure, there are. (coughs) Just looks that way because the shades are down. Dear <laughs> plenty of light Well, I, I guess it's all right Come on, Sue That's a, 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 Harry, you got him with you? Yeah, uh, sure have, Woody I won't let him get away for all the money in the world, not this time Say, what's the big idea? Merry Christmas, Lieutenant Merry Christmas. You too, ma'am Merry, Merry
10: Christmas,
6: Christmas. <laughs> Thank you Thank you very much
10: Joe, I, I don't understand
5: Neither do I, darling Say, what is this, a party?
6: Sure is,
9: young Fella, party for you and your girl. What? Huh? Yeah, we didn't have much
8: time to get ready, but Woody and I brought some stuff over from the restaurant, so I know we'll all have plenty to eat. I'll say, you got two pies and a turkey. Girl. Oh, Gosh, oh I...
9: golly. That's all right,
5: son. You don't have to say nothing. Just have a good time.
9: Sure, have a good time. Goodness knows we almost lost you when that fool husband of mine closed up the restaurant. (laughs) I had to close it, Martha. I was too busy getting things ready. Well, don't matter now, anyways. Harry saved the day for us, so let's not argue about it. I should say nothing. Come on, come on
5: in the living room, son. Make yourself at home. Come on, uh, Sue. (laughs) This is your party, and we know you want to be alone, so we ain't going to bother you none.
6: Darling,
10: look...
5: The whole room's decorated. Gosh. A Christmas tree and
2: everything.
5: Well, uh, the folks in town kind of thought you might like a place to celebrate, so we fixed up this one for you. Now go ahead and have a Merry Christmas. What time
10: is it, Joe?
5: Oh, don't worry about the time. Don't worry about anything. Harry said he'd let me know when I had to leave for the train.
10: Well, it must be soon now. Oh, do you want to play another record on the Victrola? Dance, Joe?
5: No, let's just sit here and take it easy.
10: I love you, darling.
5: <laughs> just like that?
10: Just like that. And this. Oh. What's that, darling? Who's singing?
2: Early morning carolers, I guess.
5: She wears all the comforts of home.
10: Yes, I know. We didn't miss a thing, did we? No,
5: darling. These people thought of everything. Even the presents under the tree.
10: Oh, did, did you see this one? To the officer and his bride-to-be. They didn't even know our names.
8: Time to go, good Joe.
3: All right, Harry.
5: Just another minute. I, I want to say goodbye.
10: Irving. Darling, can't I go down to the station with you?
5: No, no. I I want you to stay here, Sue. Just let me hold your hand for a minute and let me say Merry Christmas the way I want it. Oh. people, and the best Christmas I ever knew.
2: Thank you, Frank Sinatra, for a a wonderful performance. Ladies, your Hallmark, dear, has a Christmas present for you. It's the new Hallmark date book to help you remember all your important dates. If you've had one of these handy reminders in other years, you know how helpful a date book is in keeping your social life well organized. It never lets you forget the anniversaries, birthdays, and all the other dates that are so important to remember. Its 32 pages offer plenty of space for listing all of your relatives and friends and their important days, as well as your full Christmas card list. It has space, too, to jot down your own social engagements and also dates you particularly want to remember. It sounds like a great big book, but surprisingly, it's small enough to fit neatly into your purse. You'll want to carry your date book with you all the time, so don't wait. Get your free Hallmark date book tomorrow. Just ask your Hallmark dealer for his gift to you, the 1947 Hallmark date book. Hallmark cards are sold at America's finest shops and stores. Stop in tomorrow and ask for your free 1947 Hallmark date book. Yes, it's free. It's your Hallmark dealer's gift, especially for you. You're cordially invited to be with us again next week at the same time for another fine dramatic program brought to you by the makers of Hallmark Reading Cards, America's favorite reading card. If you enjoyed tonight's show, won't you please tell your friends about it and ask them also to tune in for next week's Hallmark program. At that time, you will hear the great and true story of an empire-building doctor who opened the American West for colonization. Our star will be that fine actor of the American stage and the American screen, Walter Abel.
1: Last but not least, we have the strawberry and whipped cream to put on your Sunday if you made a Sunday. Or in, if you're, if you're a cherry person, then you can put a cherry. I always, when I eat mine, I put a strawberry because I don't like maraschino cherries. Now I love the kind of cherries that you put on a, uh, uh, like in a cherry pie. But I, I can't stand those nasty little maraschino cherries. That's why you'll never catch me eating chocolate-covered cherries. And, oh, I can remember one Christmas, I got three boxes of those nasty, ridiculous things. But I reckon everybody in the world must love them except me. I just know I can't stand them. But, uh, uh, you know, I can remember being three years old. And my sister, she was five. And... Um, who actually is not my sister she's technically my aunt but we're two years apart so we've just always called each other sisters so you'll know if i talk about my sister you know i'm talking about her and then there's my other aunt she's only six years older than me she was my bossy big sister Uh, (laughs) um and i love her to death too but anyway uh she got hold of a jar of those things and she sat there and ate every one of them. I thought they were gonna make her sick, but they didn't. But uh I don't know if she can do that now. But uh anyway, the strawberry I have today is uh gunsmoke, and uh it's called Kara.
6: Look, Mr.
8: Dillon, there's Miss Kitty. there in front of the Texas Trail.
5: Yeah, I think she's waiting to say hello, Chester.
8: What's she going to work so early for? Why, it ain't hardly noon yet. I
5: don't know about Kitty, but the stage from Wichita's due in about noon.
8: Oh, I plum forgot. Sheriff Benson's coming today, ain't he?
5: That's what the telegram said.
8: Why would the sheriff of Wichita come all the way to Dodge, Mr. Dillon? Must be mighty important.
5: Maybe there's somebody here you'd like to take back with us. Hello, Kitty.
11: Hello, Matt Chester. Miss Kitty? So this is what Dodge looks like at noon. It's a little too real for me.
5: <laughs> we were wondering what brought you out so early. Uh,
11: Sam sent word. He wanted to see me. Come on in and say hello.
5: Okay. We got a few minutes. Oh. Hello, Sam.
11: Hello, Sam. Sam?
8: Marshal. Hello, hey, Sam. Hello, Chester.
5: You have your drink, gentlemen? Uh, no, thanks, Sam.
11: Sam, it isn't uh, noon yet. What am I doing here?
5: Yeah, Thanks for coming, Kitty. It's a new girl I just hired. I thought it'd be sort of nice if you'd take her over and sort of show her the ropes. Glad to, Sam. She's coming from St. Louis on the Santa Fe this morning. Needed a job real bad.
11: Well, I hope she's not one of those innocent lambs who's been a lady all her life.
4: <laughs> I'll, I'll go get her.
11: Sam takes pity on every lost soul that hits this town.
8: No woman could stay lost around Dodge for long. (laughs) That's
11: true, Chester. That's why most of these women ought to stay home. Say, she's pretty. Kara. What? Uh, uh, That's
5: her name, Kara. You know her? Yeah. Yeah, I know her.
11: Well, here here she is, everybody. Kara,
5: this is Kitty
4: and Marshal Dillon... Uh, Chester Proudfoot
13: Hello, Kara Aren't you going to say hello, Matt?
4: It's been a long time,
5: Kara
13: Matt and I knew each other out in Arizona For a while, anyway Till Matt sort of changed his mind well,
5: What are you doing in Dodge, Kara?
13: I thought you'd be surprised I heard you were marshal here Somebody told me on the train
5: Uh-huh You been living in St. Louis?
13: I've been living everywhere, Matt. I left Arizona about a year after you did. I even tried San Francisco. I made out pretty good there, too.
4: Oh.
5: Uh, uh, you planning on staying in Dodge?
13: Why not? I heard there's a lot of easy money here.
5: Sure, sure.
13: Any objections to my stay in, Matt?
5: Well, of course not.
13: Kitty, it's it's real sweet of you to show me around. Uh-huh. Let's sit over there and have a talk first, shall we?
11: Sure. Maybe you can teach me a few things. See you later, gentlemen.
8: Well, I'll say one thing, Mr. Dillon. She's a right pretty girl, anyway. Yeah.
5: She's changed since I knew her. She's changed a lot. Uh, Come on, Chester. The stage is about you. Now this is my office here, Sheriff. Oh, Dodge has sure grows, Marshal.
8: Been three or four years since I was here. Yeah. Must look mighty small compared to Wichita, Mr. Benson. <laughs> Maybe Dodge will be bigger than Wichita someday. But it's Denver, they say, has grown. I'm curious to see that. Oh,
1: you
5: headed for Denver, Sheriff? They're holding the killer for me up there. Oh. Well, sit down, sit down. <sighs>
8: I'm taking the next stage west, Marshal, but
5: uh, I wanted to be sure to see you on my way through Dodge. There's some trouble headed here. Oh? A fella called Jack Tolliver. He's a bank robber, Marshal. And he's killed a few men along the way. He opened up the State Bank in Wichita about a year ago, and he's been working his way through the Dakotas since then. But I hear he's back in Kansas... Took $5,000 out of the bank at Salina a few weeks back. Well, what makes you think he's going to try Dodge, Sheriff? Because he's heading south. Dodge is a natural for them. Them? He's got a couple of partners. I don't know their names. Yeah. Uh, what does this Tolliver look like? That's a trouble, Marshal. Nobody ever got a good look at him, I know of. But, uh, I can't tell you something about one of the gang. He sends this one ahead of him. to sort of look things over for a week or so, and then... He and the other two ride in. Uh-huh. What about the man that scouts ahead for him? It uh, ain't a man, Marshal. It's a woman. A woman? Don't know her name. She changes it all the time anyway, but she's
8: right pretty. About five foot seven, black hair, hazel eyes. She's smart and she's tough. Very right, clear, Mr. Dillon, that sounds... Novel. That's a like pretty it. clever operation,
5: Chester. Uh, Sheriff, I sure thank you for telling me all this. Uh, we'll be watching for him.
8: Oh, well... Yeah. I better go get some dinner before that stage pulls out. See you on the way back, Marshal. Goodbye, Chester. Bye, Mr. Benson. Thanks again, Sheriff. Mr. Dillon, that sure did sound like Tara he was describing. Oh, but of course she wouldn't be mixed up in anything like that. Well, I said
5: she had changed, Chester, but I hope she hasn't changed that much. I, uh, I think I better go have a talk with her.
13: Why, Matt, how do you know where I was?
5: Kitty told me. I, uh, I'd like to talk to you, Kara.
13: Sure. Come in. Thank you. Is it embarrassing for you, Matt, my being in Dodge?
5: Why should it be, Kara?
13: Well, we were pretty good friends once.
5: Well, we can still be friends.
13: You mean that, Matt? You really mean it?
5: You know what I mean, Kara.
13: Why'd you come here? What do you want?
5: Oh, well, just to talk a little. About what? About you. Where you been. Did you ever get married? Things like that.
13: No, I never got married. And I told you I've been everywhere. What else?
5: Well, uh, what have you been doing lately? Why would you leave St. Louis?
13: I haven't been in St. Louis. Oh,
5: you, you said you just came from there.
13: You didn't let me finish. I haven't been in St. Louis very long, and I had no reason to stay there. Matt, what's this all about? If you don't want me in Dodge, say so. I'll leave.
5: Oh, You're, you're welcome in Dodge, Carol.
13: I don't know whether to believe you or not.
5: Oh, maybe I'm being too curious. I'll shut up.
13: Oh, it isn't that. I guess it's just that there's a lot of things I don't want to talk about. You understand that.
5: Sure, sure. But I won't be bothering you anyway. I have to go out of town for a few days tomorrow.
13: Oh? Where are you going?
5: Salina. They're holding a prisoner for me there. Salina. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
13: And you going tomorrow? Yeah.
5: I'll be back in a couple of days, though.
13: Matt, couldn't you put it off for a while? Say, another week? Why, Kara? I don't know. I'd like you around. I feel like such a stranger here. I'll be more at home in another week. Please, Matt?
6: Uh,
5: sure, Kara. Doesn't make much difference. Uh, you, you let me know if there's anything I can do for you.
6: Huh?
13: Thanks, ma'am. I will.
8: Was she there, Mr. Dillon? Yeah. Did you find out anything?
5: Only if she is mixed up with this man, Tolliver, she can't get in touch with him for a week. But we won't worry about it till then.
8: It'd be kind of too bad. I mean, you being a friend of hers and all.
5: The sheriff said Tulliver's killed a number of men, Chester. I won't mind stopping him. If I can. few days passed, and as I'd thought, nothing happened. Kara worked at the Texas Trail, and although we kept an eye on her, she talked to so many strangers every day, there was no way of telling which might have been her bank lover friend, Jack Tolliver. Would have been easy for him to just ride into town anytime he wanted, buy Kara a drink, and get what information she'd gathered. I talked to her now and then... And although she tried not to show it, I was pretty sure she was aware that I was suspicious of her. And then one day, I was real sure. Doc and Chester and I just finished a game of three-handed stud in the office.
9: $6.50,
8: $6.75, and $7. $7.50, $8. Dollars. You have to count it out loud, Doc. $8.50, $9.950. Ah, here we are. Yeah, well, I do it to teach you a lesson, Chester. You got my money, ain't that enough? <laughs> oh, you're always thinking of money, Chester. Money isn't the only pleasure in the world. Why, there's also, oh my, there's, uh, well, uh, well, there's also, um, um. Also what?
5: <laughs> you better think hard, Doc. He's following your mighty course.
8: Uh, did you ever go out in the night, Chester, and look at the stars? What? Did you ever watch them and feel close to nature... and enjoy the great and wondrous beauty of it all? You talk like you had a drink, Doc. Uh-uh. Oh, Chester. And of course, I've watched the stars... whenever it wasn't raining or snowing or blowing the wind down out of the north... or whenever I wasn't just too doggone saddle worry and tuckered out to keep my eyes open. You're a hard man to inspire, Chester. Saving you from the devil will be a full-time job... And I'm afraid it's too late. Oh here. The world has corrupted you, Chester. It's touched your soul. It's withered it like a... Oh, my. Like a... Like a bean. Like a bean? Now, don't don't you listen (laughs) here, Doc. Oh, Kitty. Oh. Oh, look upon her, Chester. The beauty of womanhood in all its uh, passionate splendor.
6: What?
8: Uh, It sure beats the stars, anyway. Are you too drunk?
5: (laughs) Doc's been trying to teach Chester to take a larger view of life, Kitty.
8: (laughs) Doc's got all my money and he's just crowing about it. That's all he's doing.
11: Money, huh? Well, that's just what I came here for.
5: Oh, what do you mean, Kitty?
11: I need $20, Matt. Oh, well, sure. There you are. Before I take it, I better tell you, it isn't for me. What? Kara needs it. She came to me and I didn't have it, but I said I thought I could get it for her. I think she knows where...
5: She could have come to me herself.
11: Too proud, maybe.
5: How come she's broke? She's been working... I
11: didn't ask her what it's for, Matt.
5: Uh, it's all right, Kitty. Give it to her.
11: I will. But I'll tell you something. What? I've met some pretty tricky women here and there. But your old friend, Kara, has them all beat. I'll give her the money.
5: Chester. Yes, you? Follow, Kitty... Don't let Kara out of your sight till you find out what that money's for. I'll wait here for you.
8: Okay, Mr. Dillon.
5: The depot's already crowded, Chester. It must be close to train time.
8: Yes, sir. And Kara will be here. I know she will. The agent told me she bought one ticket to St. Louis and asked what time the next train leaves. Well,
5: I hope she's here.
8: Maybe she's innocent after all, Mr. Dillon.
5: Well, we'll soon find out, Chester. Oh, there she is over there.
8: Yes, and all dressed up, too.
5: Kara's always all dressed up.
13: Hello, Matt. Chester? Miss Kara? You're staring at me, Matt.
5: I'm just wondering why you didn't come and say goodbye. If you're leaving Dodge
13: What makes you think I'm leaving?
5: Well, you bought a ticket to St. Louis with the $20 I gave Kitty for you
13: Yes, I did I knew you'd figure it all out, Matt And I knew you'd think I'm leaving I wanted you to Why, Kara? Because I've enjoyed making a fool of you Have you? A friend of mine's leaving on that train, Matt
5: Jack Tolliver?
13: I knew you were on to us
8: I'll watch Kara if you want to go after him, Mr. Dillon.
5: There are 20 strangers down here, Chester. How do I know which one's Tolliver? <laughs> you know, I could arrest you, Kara. You're wanted in a lot of places.
13: You're too smart for that, Matt. Arrest me and you'd never find Jack.
5: Sure. But once Tolliver's on that train, I can find him. How? I'll have the whole train put under guard when it gets to Abilene. One by one, every man on it will have to clear himself We'll get him No,
7: you won't He'll jump off
10: He
5: won't know what I'm going to do And you can't warn him now
7: Hey, he's
10: pulling out, Mr. Dillon We'll
5: make it, Chester So long, Kara No,
10: Matt, wait
5: Come on, Chester, run
10: Matt, come
8: back (laughs) Helen one it
5: You sure fooled her, Mr. Dillon Kara doesn't think I fooled her, Chester
8: what do
5: you mean? She thinks she fooled me. Well, how? She wants me on this train. She planned the whole thing for us. Well,
8: why are
5: we here, then? Well, we won't be for long. There's a ranch close to the tracks about ten miles from here. I'll have the conductor stop the train and we'll get off there and then borrow a couple of horses.
8: And uh, uh, ride right on back to Dodge?
5: Jack Tolliver's in Dodge, Chester. He's thinking he can hold up the bank anytime he wants to now.
4: But there's nobody to stop him.
8: tied the horse where are we on Mr. Dillon Plumb out of sight oh good it's almost dark anyway they've never
5: seen yeah well things look quiet enough come on let's get inside the bank we'll wait for him there
8: how are we going to get in Mr. Dillon he ain't lost
5: well, there isn't more than a couple of hundred dollars in there Chester Mr. Botkin's been keeping the bank's real money in a safe at his home ever since I heard about Jack Tolliver and he gave me a key to the rear door here
8: well if there's nothing for him to steal what do we care?
5: Well, I'll let you figure that out for yourself. Mm-hmm.
8: So, where'll I get at, Mr. Dillon?
5: Uh, there by the window there. Oh, you can see them, huh?
8: Oh, what if they try to come in the front?
5: Oh, they won't. It's too exposed. I'll wait over here. When they come, we'll leave them alone until they get clear inside, you understand?
8: Yes, sir. I won't shoot till you do. All right, good.
5: Now... Don't stand right in front of the window, Chester. They'll see you. Yeah,
8: but I can't see good if I'm at one side.
5: You don't have to be at one side, just stand a few feet back from it.
8: Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, that's better. My I sure do wish there was a moon tonight. It'll yeah, be a help, all right. Uh oh. What? There's some horses. They're heading this way. How many? Four, I think. Yep, four. Yeah, that's them. Here they come. They're getting down. Three of them are. They're handing their reins to the other one. I hope now he's getting down, too.
5: She, Chester. That's probably Kara.
8: My God, I think it is. All right, quiet now. Yes, sir. Not so much noise. He didn't hear us all the way down Front Street. All clear, Kara? Okay, Jack. All right. Go ahead, you two. I'll follow. All right. Behind the banker's desk, there. According to Carrick. Yeah.
6: All right, get your hands what? from the air, Tolliver.
5: All of you. come. I can't see. It.
9: I got two of them, Chester. Tolliver, run outside. But I hit him. He's wounded. Look, Carrick's having to help him. Hold it, Tolliver.
5: Kara, get away from him! No, you don't, Kara. You stay right here.
10: Don't hide behind me, Jack. He'll kill me.
5: He won't kill you. But if you move, I will.
10: No, let me go!
5: Get around behind him, Chester. Yes, sir. You're trapped, Oliver. Now let Kara go. You just stay right where you
8: are, both of you. I'll kill her if you don't.
6: You coward, Jack! Get away from me! I warned you! Ah.
8: You got him, Mister Don.
5: He's dead. I didn't get him soon enough. Let's see how Kara is. Kara. Oh.
6: Kara.
5: I'm sorry, Kara. It's too dark. I couldn't shoot any quicker. Kara. I think she heard me, Chester.
8: He shot her right in the back, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. Well, sir, that's the end of Jack Tolliver's gang. It's
5: the end of a lot of things, Chester. A lot of things.
8: Yes, sir, I guess it is.
4: Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Jill Jarman, Vic Perrin, and John Daner. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke
1: well friends and neighbors it's that time and um, we're we're gonna close her down for the day um, I'd like to ask you to hang out with me but uh, in fact I don't even know where I'm going right now <laughs> but uh, anyway um, this is on Friday that I'm doing this right now. Y'all have a good weekend. And um, I just want to say thanks to Victor for doing all the technical ins and outs back there. And uh, for him having this channel to give us the opportunity to do these shows. I know I have a blast doing them. And um, so, uh, but I, I do welcome your... Um, your suggestions your comments anything you know anything you'd like to hear um if i don't have it i'll make sure i get it and um so i've got to go back and reget. To, what kind of word is that Reget, reacquire some things that i lost yesterday when i was moving files and uh because i have the computer from hell it's the slowest one in the nation i think <laughs> But, um, anyway, guys, um, if you, if you want to write to me, um, it's Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E, at gmail.com, and, um, I don't think I've left out anything. If I have, forgive me. (laughs) Uh, yeah, as perfect as I am, folks, sometimes I just, uh, End up not getting it all. <laughs> well, no, usually I get it all, but if I don't have my notes right at me, I I end up forgetting something that I needed to say. Oh, uh, but what can you what can you say at 64, right? Well, hey, I'm not hardly 64 yet. There's another couple of weeks yet, so. Uh, but 63 didn't make that much difference either. So I'm still forgetful then too. So <laughs> anyway, um. Talk to you later next time, folks. Bye-bye.